Hello, and welcome to another bonus episode of the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Remion. Welcome to The Academy. And I think, Patrick, there's only one way to, um, there's only one way to open this episode. Yeah. Um, it's not Al anymore. It's Dunk. Don't mind if I do. You want creamy goodness. I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. Attica, hooah, latte light. This whole trial is out of sight. They pulled me back in with hazelnut too. Caramel swirl. I knew it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. <laughs> it, um... There we go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> forget we, about we, it. Forget about it. We are in... We're entering the weird zone. It's Weird Al Pacino. Oh, I would have come up with like a Weird Al Yankovic style parody song, mm-hmm. but Dunkachino actually kind of does it, crosses that, checks that off the box too, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think like, I think there is a world where Al, Al, Weird Al Yankovic would release a, a Dunkin' Donuts themed song about Al Pacino. I think that's possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's almost <laughs> like. Why didn't this happen? Why didn't this happen in the first place? And Jack and Jill is smart enough to leave it for the final moments of the movie, to like leave you hanging for the greatest part oh, of yeah. the movie, and it 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 is really great. It I mean truly, it's truly special. The meme is for real for a good reason. Yeah. I would say on this one, but uh, this week, yeah, we're we're taking a walk on the wild side. I'd say with Al. We're going to be looking at three performances, one surprisingly celebrated, Mm -hmm. one you probably didn't know he was in this terrible movie, (laughs) and two, one that's rightfully questioned. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Say that's a good, uh, good way to, good way to sum those up. Oh yeah. I think like, yeah, this is going to be a, um, this is definitely a brain breaker. These three movies. I'm gonna say, as a warning, if you're gonna if you're gonna watch these movies, I'd say watch two of them. You don't have to watch the the third one. You're good. I think you can let our pain work for you. <laughs> yes. When we talk, and you will, you know, they're 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 beating around the bush. They're talking about three movies. Which one are they talking? About? You know which one we're talking about. Yeah. And look, we're scientists. But sometimes we're also like our own lab rats, and like, yeah, this is the this is like our version of uh, Willem Dafoe, like going into the machine that makes him the Green Goblin in Spider Man. Like we are just yeah, throwing caution into the wind. You know, it's just two hours and two minutes. You know, I'm reminded of the Mr. Show sketch where they're talking about the Devastator, the roller coaster. Mm. And they're just like, it's a real soul shattering experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is devastating. This is yeah. a devastating <laughs> film. But um, of course, we're talking about Geely, which we'll get to in a bit. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the infamous film that both Patrick and I um, missed upon release. But for you, the listener, have actively sought out and watched this past weekend um Oof. in a real like i mean it really left me um you know left me questioning things 
Yeah. Way. It is like this thing where like in some ways it's beautiful in the way that like a perfect disaster is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like like the um like a a widescreen image of a tsunami. Yeah. It's not good. But boy, I mean, nature is incredible, isn't it? It's like the perverse, uh, you know, as some get perverse glee from watching uh, cars wreck at the Daytona 500. Like, yeah, Yeah. that that sense of schadenfreude, you can't help but uh, let wash over you as you uh, slowly uh, sink into the quicksand that is Martin Brest's Gili. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean... We, yeah, I obviously this is the one we're excited to talk about because it is such a brain melter. Um, oh, yeah. But I mean, what I do love about this is that all of these exist. Yeah. And like, I, what I like about life is not perfect. You can't just rock through a series of Godfather twos and Dog Day afternoons and no. just kind of like get through things and like come away unscathed. Al Pacino is a man and a human being. And um, <laughs> some, sometimes things happen. And, you know, I mean, I know that, you know, we'll t- talk about it in a moment with Geely. I, I, I firmly believe Geely was a bit more of a favor than Al, like the script really uh, speaking to Al oh, in yeah. any sense. But I mean, you got to hand it to him. In the other two, Big Boy Caprice and the character, the titular character, Al Pacino oh, in yeah. Jack and Jill, he's going for it. He's oh, going yeah. for it in the same way he does as Lefty and Donnie Brasco or Will uh, Dormer in Insomnia or other movies of that kind of similar time period. Like he's he still loves acting. It's and I think he sees both films as a really like fun challenge 100%. to what he does. Um but I'm happy. Again, I think this kind of gets back to a running theme of the Academy Academy and my taste is I really, really like like flawed things or imperfect <laughs> <Yeah>. things like <laughs> and, you know, I think to have someone like Pacino who has done, has a handful of pretty perfect things in his career mm-hmm. to also just like be a freak who's like up for it and you know there's a part of me that wonders did he watch anger management and say hey nicholson seems like he's having fun (laughs) you know i'm I'm one in the mix but i it's it's pretty these movies are all wild in their own ways and some wild in a very successful ways and some wild in very very wrong ways so there there is um a lot of chaos in these movies, uh, which I appreciate. Like we've long talked about Meryl Streep. Like we wish that Meryl Streep would have done like, you know, Nunca Gems or like, but yeah, watching these, I realized I would, yeah. And I think we've even talked about this before. It'd be so fun to see Meryl Streep paired with Adam Sandler in a ridiculous. uh, Thought about it like him. Meryl Streep is his like awful stepmom. Or something yeah. like that. Or and like, yeah, it's like uh, he has to, like, for work, he has to, like, go to the Cayman Islands. And yeah. uh, Streep runs the mean hotel he's staying at, at the wonderful Cayman Islands. He She runs them, you know, because, like, you know, he wants to stay at, like, the Sheraton. 
which would be prominently featured as like a, a place of like you know heavenly delights. Like Sandler would say, Sandler would be wearing a T-shirt that said Sheraton. On yeah, it. Sheraton boy. Like, yeah. <laughs> like my life for you, Sheraton sweets. Uh, yeah, it's like, like I only whenever I go on vacation, I only stay at the Sheraton. So Meryl, you better let me stay at the Sheraton Hotel. It's the best hotel in the United States and international. Yeah, and and international. Uh, What was the name of the insane? Um, Or like the 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 the, what was it? Like was it uh, was it carnival? What was the? I think it was the carnival that he was on. But they they made it very clear. And you know, as someone who you know, I've read David Foster Wallace's essay, supposedly fun thing that I'll never do again. Mm -hmm. And I'm a cruise skeptic not tom mm. cruise but the cruise ships yes. mind you um it made it look really fun in jack uh, and jill i I, a, I was like man that looks great the, the, all the buffets and all the cool stuff that's on there i'm like i can be i can get into this <laughs> like, I, I, i'm a cruise skeptic but i'm skeptical of uh, the cruise directed by bennett miller Oh, uh, wow. Speed Levitch. A deeper Bennett Miller cut. <laughs> That's what you come to this pod for, folks. The Bennett Miller drops. Now, I mean, I know this, this is going to be this episode, but I, you know, it strikes me. Bennett Miller, who I really like, who's only directed, um, what is it, three narrative yeah. films? All good. Boy, I think he could do, I think he and Sandler could do well together. Yeah. I think he, I think his like, dry dour filmmaking Mm -hmm. for some reason i see sandler oddly fitting in i could oh man i think this is crazy what i'm saying what i'm about to say uh i love box catcher i truly love that movie. i think it's a great film oh it rules and it's like and it's also like i love it and because it's so like it's so dry and it's like it is truly devoid of like love like that feels like there's like it is a movie where like all the love has been sucked out of like i mean there's moments of like care between like mark ruffalo but they're like these little like oases in between long periods of just like suffering well mark ruffalo is the only character who's not deathly lonely and alone in the film and thus he's of course and this is a spoiler he's the one who gets shot yeah (laughs) Yeah, they're not yeah he's not no he's not uh uh, he's not embarrassed by shaning tatum he's but uh but like the steve carell's performance as the dupont uh i think adam sandler could have been that role i think he could have done it too i think it, i mean it would have taken a little bit of work but i think he could have done it too i think it would have um, been yeah it's like i think he has like the potential to do like something like a truly satanic performance in a good way i mean that in the best way yeah i mean well i mean oh, so many of his characters have like such an insane violence in their heart and also yeah. like a true darkness that yeah. it, there is like yeah there is like a uh yeah his character in big daddy there is like a you think grim, it, yeah like, you think about him in like big daddy and mr deeds his ostensibly like sweetest characters they still like beat people up with garbage cans oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you, know. oh, yeah. you can see the guy um who plays uh i'm trying to think of like what's like an, a, a truly cruel because i feel like he's done some truly cruel characters i'm trying to 
Yeah, they're never like um, supposed to be cruel, but for some reason, the the pathos and the psychology of the Adam Sandler character, which there need there probably have been, but further essays need to be written about this. Yeah, you can I, see. Yeah, there are like at the very least there are moments of, of of Jack's treatment of Jill and Jack and Jill where you see like a, a demonic twinkle in Adam Sandler's eye. Yeah, like, he oh, like yeah. likes it when she like falls down the oh, stairs or oh, some shit. Truly finds it funny. He thinks that's like the height of like to him. It's like uh, this yeah. person being funny because like it's like it's her fault. She's clumsy. Like it's like yeah, that. there's a part of you is like did she break her neck too bad like what <laughs> yeah oh yeah no like i said he has like a demonic twinkle in his eye when you look into it and it's like oh yeah this guy could play the judge in cormac mccarthy's blood meridian <laughs> <laughs> he has that he has that in him if there was a kickstarter for the adam santa version of blood meridian <laughs> and ever and of course the rest of the cast needs to be populated with only sandler um oh yeah Sandler regulars. I love to dance by the fire. The, like, the, the, kid, the kid is Nick Swartzen. Oh, Jesus. That is dark. <laughs> I think it works because it, it, we'll get into this. When we talk about Jack and Jill further in a little bit. The kind of warped spirit to not only Sandler's characters, but kind of all of his friends' characters and everything. The the violence that lurks under the surface of yeah. everyone involved almost is it's really astonishing and it's a true another auteurist thing about the happy Madison universe that um it's both boy I can't think of a film I'm gonna call Sandler a filmmaker here um a filmmaker who walks the line between good and bad taste Mm -hmm. and talent and hackiness as much as he does with some of these comedy films i mean we're obviously we're excluding the punch drunk loves the meyerowitz stories the um uncut gems of the world out of that conversation yeah women and children's Despite the fact that Paul Thomas Anderson saw the violence in all the characters and it's in Punch Drunk Love completely, he's oh, playing man. with the idea of the violence of the Sandler character. It's um, Sandler's work needs to be there needs to be a full critical book about yeah. each diving into. I don't we are not the men for the job. Me, I don't know. Maybe, Maybe. Uh, I need what a what that. a twist! What a twist in our life if we did that. Yeah, <laughs> but, I, could um, do, I could do a book of Sandler. I'd be yeah. it'd be fun to like, yeah, because like I said, there is like this darkness. Like, I I think there is. I'm actually I'm surprised there isn't like a comedic version of a history of violence done mm-hmm. by the Happy Meal, where you find out that like he was accidentally like. I mean, you don't mess oh, with the Zohan wow. has shades of that. Probably you're right, but that. yeah, like that he's. Um, has amnesia and he's like a hitman or something like that. Yeah, yeah like, I think yeah. Like where it's like it's all comedic. Where like you could literally do like beat for beat a history of violence as a comedic farce in the Sandler verse. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It would be very funny. Maybe the Maria Bello sex scenes. <laughs> yeah, those those I, you probably couldn't emulate. Who knows? They would, they would <laughs> I mean, share Popeye's chicken instead or something. Like yeah, yeah, they, they would be like a, instead yeah. of instead of um, getting freaky, how about a subway sandwich? That's literally oh. like yeah, it is. And legit. we'll talk. We'll talk about a subway sandwich surprise that is truly the most twisted part yeah. of <laughs> Jack and Jill. In just a little bit, we're gonna leave you on a cliffhanger. Yeah. That is like <laughs> that is the funny thing. Too, is like the desexualizing of like 
like sex is totally non-existent and in its place are brands like that is love <laughs> love love making in the sandler verse is taking parts communally in a denny's like pancake platter well that's the thing because <laughs> It's a celebration of immaturity and being man children. Yes. So it's never about like growth and adult activities. It's about hanging out with your friends and yeah. eating fast food all the time. And, <laughs> and frankly, ripping into the less fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, yeah, it's funny as hell that that old man his cane got kicked out of his hands that rules like, yeah that's, that's, hey, that's like the shit error like yeah yeah it's well, it's but i it's, think there's like a heart we're like i think like the thing is like adam sandler like he will kick the cane out of the old man but the old man is in on the joke and then ultimately the guy who kicked the cane will get his comeuppance yeah and sandler like loves his family and friends yeah and it's like and he's like really good to his family and friends and 100%. and he's like surprisingly like there's like an uh, a, a uh an openness and an openness to other cultures that like a lot of like you know much more respected directors like you know like the fact that like yeah you have uh gad alame from france in this you have uh eugene uh Oh my gosh, Eugenio Derbez is in this from Mexico. And he like, gives them good bits. They get some yeah. really they it's not like they it's not like they get funny moments. No, they get to really shine. Like there's like yeah, there's like a there's like a university a universality. Yeah. And, yeah. It's the, the it's like he's inviting everyone to be a part of his semi-mean spirited, yeah. semi-warm-hearted universe. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> and, like, uh, we can, and, and, in Sandler's world, he thinks anyone and everyone should be allowed to be a man-child. Like, yeah, and it's like we'll go like, oh, and oh, I, I love every. All the sports references are clearly all he knows are what happened in sports between like 1977 and 1987. And the exact same thing goes with his music taste. It's all like Rush and Yes and Billy Joel and anything yeah. that came out when he was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, no, he's like 100 uh, percent stuck in a certain um, should we like, OK, we, we got to get, get in. Let's we we got to get it. Obviously. Uh, Long-time listeners of the yeah. show know that Patrick and I are pretty obsessive Sandman fans, so we've yeah, got yeah. a lot of ideas. This is our first actual opportunity to dig in on the Sander on the Sandler verse. Oh, but first things first, because we start. We you know what? We 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 seem like men of chaos, but we're not always. No, we're gonna go in chronological order. Men of order. Men of Order. So the first film we're going to discuss is the only film we really haven't alluded to too much. And that is 1990s Dick Tracy, directed, written, produced and starring Warren Beatty among. And then, I mean, we can get into who is in this movie, but it's more of a question of who isn't in this movie. Um, it's a real it's a huge bummer that uh, Meryl Streep isn't in it as one of the freaky gangsters. Yes. Um, it, it's it's just it's really just it's frankly was disheartening because literally everyone else is in this movie. So I'm going to do a quick rundown. Al Pacino, Madonna, Glenn Headley, Charlie Corsmo, Seymour Cassell, Michael J. Pollard, Academy Academy favorite Charles Durning, Dick Van Dyke, 
Kathy Bates, another Academy Academy, a controversial favorite, Dustin Hoffman, William Forsyth, Edo Ross, uh, another favorite, James Tolkien, Mandy oh, Patinkin, R.G. <laughs> Armstrong, H- Henry Silva, Paul Sorvino, Jimmy Kahn, Catherine O'Hara, and how about this? Even Jack Kehoe from Serpico is in it. Chaos. Uh, Alan Garfield, John Shuck, Charles Fleischer. Um, just down the line, this is a um, it's basically everyone Beatty was friends with for the last 30 years of Hollywood. It feels like um, it is. And we have to obviously a huge shout outs to Vittorio Storaro, the cinematographer, and Danny Elfman, who did the mm. score. Uh, Dick Tracy premiered June 14th, 1990, uh, released to mixed reviews, but success at the box office. Uh, little eight year old Don Saunderson was there opening day. Oh. Yeah, because I was as we've we've talked about before, I was pretty pretty pumped for this movie um the movie was budgeted at 46 million which 1990 dollars pretty good uh made 162.7 million also at the box office um the the rotten tomatoes score is sitting currently at a 63 percent Dick Tracy is stylish, unique, and an undeniable technical triumph, but it ultimately struggles to rise above its two-dimensional artificiality. Interesting consensus. I, I'm curious if you how you feel about that. Uh, Roger Ebert gave the film four stars, arguing that Warren Beatty succeeded in creating the perfect tome of nostalgia for the film. Mostly praised the matte paintings, art direction, and prosthetic makeup design. Dick Tracy is one of the most original and visionary fantasies I've seen on the screen. Um, it was nominated for seven academy awards uh it was included uh production design cinematography costume design sound um original song makeup and of course and perhaps surprisingly best supporting actor al pacino now i guess we can open this up because this is ostensibly pacino show oh and Beatty, up until like a couple years ago 2016 was was discussing the possibility of a sequel. So wow. still out there. Beatty's probably still tinkering. I mean, if you if you're a Beatty head like I am and were really pumped and watched um his Howard Hughes movie that took him 20 years to make, this is still still on the table. Um but ostensibly this is an Al Pacino podcast. So it's crazy that Al Pacino was nominated for this movie. Yes. Yes. Like He's he, so Pacino's the heavy. He's the villain of the film. Big Alphonse, big boy Caprice, and Pacino plays him at a ten. Oh yeah, it's the entire movie. And um, would you call this Ground Zero of Hua? I would say yeah, Ground Zero of Hua. And I would go a step further to say this is the definitive Hua performance. Like this is like as Hua as it gets. Like every. Every minute is just hoo in this. In he this. is, he is super funny in it. Oh, he's great. He's he's ridiculous. I mean, uh, some of the highlights certainly would include he um, when he begins taking over the town, <laughs> he uh, somehow get, becomes in charge of the Ritz. Is it the Ritz? Is that the name of the um, the, the night club, club Ritz? Club Ritz. Club Ritz. Yeah. Club Ritz um, where Madonna 
is a performer and Mandy Patinkin, uh, what was his name? 88 Keys. Is that his character? Yeah. 88 Keys. They all got great names. We'll get into it. Also, um, if Adam Sandler was, if this was an Adam Sandler movie, you bet everyone would be eating a certain cracker at this club. <laughs> yeah. you, you bet. <laughs> and you bet Alan Covert is playing 88 Keys. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Dante is prune face. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, man. I Shaquille O'Neal is flat top. Oh, okay. Flat top Shaquille O'Neal is good. That's that's good. Yeah, but um, so he takes over Club Ritz and he takes a particular interest in the um, fucking Stephen Sondheim original songs, too. We forgot to mention that from all oh, yeah. of Madonna's songs. He There's takes a- particular interest and he becomes like he's like, damn. Bob Fosse, and it's hilarious watching him try and um, uh, uh, choreograph the musical numbers and get upset and shut. You know, it's clear he's letting his mob duties go based on his artistic desires for a good show. Um, but yeah, he's he's hilarious. He's also the only guy in the film who is um, is the Dick Tracy unit versus very funny in which you're chief identifying physical feature is also your name <laughs> so, so we 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 uh, alluded to flat top earlier you could guess his um most distinguishing feature is his square flat cranium and matching haircut um edo ross is itchy uh guess what he does <laughs> uh my one of my favorites dustin hoffman's mumbles and dusty's having a good time i think he's having a great time with everything oh. he's got going on in this movie he's just oh, like just i would have been doing i would have been doing this anyway <laughs> he's having a ball just saying gibberish uh i love uh one of my favorite ones is henry silva as influence the character which like i guess having the name influence means that your face is sort of like prune face's face if prune but face you're not prune, you're not if there was no prune face yeah there, if there, if there, he's there, just face he's just face yeah. yeah well then if you're but if you have no face then you're the blank this is all all makes True. sense i mean my favorite it, my, my favorite might be paul sorvino's lips manless oh, a, a fan of oysters oh just uh, just horrendous <laughs> it's, <laughs> but lovable it, it, but everybody is having like a good time. It's the only bummer is kind of the fact that a lot of them only do um, one scene. Like yeah. Khan only shows up as Spud Spaldoni in one moment in the film. And come on, get, you know, you're not going to tease us with James Khan and not give us more James Khan. Yeah. Oh, you can also tell too that he was just not down to play the way everyone else was. Like, yeah, he said no makeup for me, yeah. please. I'm, I'm going to have a, a mustache. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a great looking normal man. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, not going to, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, wear this uh, fake ears and be big ears. Mm-hmm. Sorry. But this, um, oh, and then of course, uh, Warren Beatty, uh, if you've ever seen the Dick Tracy comic books, Dick Tracy has quite distinguishing features too, but Warren Beatty's distinguishing features is that he looks a lot like Warren Beatty. Yeah, he's, um, he's hunk face. That's his. Yeah, he's he still looks. He's he's as Patrick mentioned, he's probably too old for the <laughs> yes. part, but at the same time, he's still good. He's still good. Yeah, um, and it's like it, you're fine with it. It's like you know, it's a comic book movie, and you know what? Like this could be kind of like it's like. Uh, Indiana Jones, like the fourth Indiana Jones movie, where it's like, you know, Harrison Ford, probably too old to survive uh, being nuked in a lead-lined 
uh, refrigerator. It's a but... great refrigerator, man. They met, they built them way better back then. Yeah, that's true. Man, I wish, wish my refrigerators had more lead. Hey, call big refrigerator and get some more lead. You know, yeah. <laughs> Hashtag more lead, please. Well, I can survive a nuclear attack, but I've been dr- dramatically long-term poisoned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, my my blood is ruined. I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm very, very sick. Yeah, I, was it like Legionnaire's disease? Yeah, I'm not doing well. <laughs> but um, um, but yeah, this uh, the script was being developed in the early '80s. Uh, a couple, a few of the directors that were. Uh, they took a look at prior to Warren Beatty, Steven Spielberg, John Landis, Walter Hill, Richard Benjamin. Um, mm. But this feels like, weirdly enough, something that only Warren Beatty could have done. Like the level of like, this all comes through one person and one person's vanity and one person's passion project mm-hmm. is so on display in this movie. It's it's pretty astonishing his level of control over every aspect of this movie and you know to start off with this movie's i think it's gorgeous oh, it's yeah. so good looking um it makes you yearn for movies that like use color at this level like everyone has like from dick tracy's yellow uh trench coat everyone's like got these like bold like maroons and bright greens and stuff like that for all their suits and it's just it's just really fun in that regard like i think that the rotten tomatoes review is kind of there that the the plot line of the movie is not exactly like hey call your mom this is a barn burner of a story like but the level of like fun that everyone's having the weirdness of it the unique the uniqueness of it Mm -hmm. really makes it i think uh something that um you know, I think it's going to stick around I, in its yeah, own right. It does, like, to me, it almost has, like, the vibe of, like, I think it's, like, $46 million budget or a $45 million budget. It has, like, the vibe of, like, and they say this in a positive way. I mean, this in the, it feels like a high school play, but, like, the world's most expensive high school play. Yeah. And, like... Uh, there's like a playfulness to, again everything like it's like the world is silly everyone knows the world is silly uh it's like a dick tracy it's like a comic strip level under like you know all the police officers are irish like yeah all the yeah all the bad guys are just bad baddies it's so like cut and dry but it's done in a way that's super appealing and uh it just has a you in the um just all the aesthetics, like the Danny Elfman script works, all the, yeah, all the... Uh, and obviously the Danny Elfman score is really coming off of the the first Burton Batman. Oh, There's distinct hugely. crossover vibes there. It does feel like this is like the middle point between Batman and Batman Begins. Like this is kind of like the, the, just going from like... Um, this is like the, the, this is where like a, the gothic energy and like the campiness like there's something's happening I don't know mm-hmm. uh, and I, I I this I want to get into some of the development of this movie because there's some interesting stories some interesting alternate universe casting oh, too wow. okay. um, that I want to hit you with but I I I, I, I might tease this out here because this is something I was thinking about the other day I think. Um, because we were talking, we the Lost Boys is going to be playing at the New Beverly in August and at a midnight show, and Lost Boys is great. Yeah. And I was thinking about Joel Schumacher 
And I think his two Batman movies are really misunderstood. And I think that because because somebody somebody was talking about kind of the way that disco was maligned for years and years and years. And I think that there is a campy, even somewhat queer element to his two Batman movies that makes a lot of traditional comic book fanboys and critics very uncomfortable. And they're actually quite insane and fun. And they are an artistic choice by by an artist in the same way Dick Tracy was or the Burton ones or the Chris Nolan ones were. But the Chris Nolan ones seem to fit the bill of like, take us seriously. We're comic book fans, but this is real stuff. Yeah. Much Um, more than the Schumacher stuff. I will say I did watch the two Schumacher movies this year recently. Um, I, mean, I, I don't know if that makes them good or not, but I, I think that I, that makes them interesting. I think they're interesting. I think aesthetically you're correct. I think like that's like the best part of those movies by far are the aesthetics, the uh, the vibe of those movies, the sets, the designs, like that sheer like almost like Adam West level of camp that people were afraid of back then. Yeah, uh, that they should have like been like that's like it's fun. It rules. Um, I and they should that- bring it back oh. too. Big time! I would be so down with like a tongue and cheek, um, and not tongue and cheek in the shitty Deadpool like. Uh, oh, or, or this isn't a helicopter. This is a helicopter. Bullshit like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah, I'm like epic. Uh, epic. Yeah, uh, chimichanga or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. fucking, epic like, bacon superhero. It is. He Deadpool is just like the um, just the fucking patron saint of that shit. Jesus Christ! But like um. But I think the problem with those two movies I have is like they're just really stupid. They're just like the yeah. are, so they're, they're for the littlest of kids. Like if you're eight, it's great, great movie. I remember loving it when I was eight because like, but then like it is truly just like a. Uh, I just they're not for adults. And I think um, I think you could actually make an argument, and this goes back to my appreciation of Dick Tracy and seeing it when I was eight. Mm-hmm. Dick Tracy's a kids movie. Oh. There's some there is some adulter elements. Madonna's involved and Patrick, you were not around for Madonna in 1990. She was not a big she was a big fucking deal. <laughs> and you yeah, know, well, like, I, I was around yeah. for her when she was in the Austin Powers. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. I, I had that, but I was that's definitely late era. Like I missed out on like the peak Madonna. I mean, this is around the same time period as the Truth or Dare film, and then of mm. course the sex book. Um <laughs> the sex book was uh a crazy controversy in the halcyon days of the early nineties um, that had a lot of people who were around 10 and boys um, and probably girls too. Uh, very curious about what the hell was in the sex book. <laughs> the damn sex book. Yeah. I wonder if it's, I wonder if that is still, if this is the first time I, I had a friend who got one like later on in life. And I think he was correct in picking up a copy for an ironic addition to his uh, book collection. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she's obviously not as big of um, I mean, she's still clearly a legend, but um, the 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 pop cultural stranglehold she had yes. in the early 90s is it's very difficult to top from. Uh, I mean, Taylor, imagine an edgy a very very edgy taylor swift level of um pop cultural dominance i think mm-hmm. that that's a good i think that's a good comp i mean obviously taylor swift is barely a human being and kind of a robot um in terms yeah. of their like 
very very strategic moves and like she's a she's a cog in a well-oiled machine Beatty had the concept for a dick tracy film in 1975 that was his first time out with it um it went through a variety um they hired the guy who wrote superman one and two uh deal fell through though when chester gould the creator of this comic strip insisted on some heavy duty artistic control um they took it over to in 1980 around that or very early 80s paramount pictures who offered uh spielberg the position um and it could but it quickly moved over to john landis uh who courted clint eastwood to play dick tracy wow um Man, and that, that uh been good. yeah i mean i think it's a sharp I think it's a good good idea. And they said, uh, you know, Landis was very into it, very, very ready to go. But then um, 1983, as we all know, very, very tragic, terrible incident happened on the set of the Twilight Zone, the movie in which three people were killed under Landis's watch. Oh, and um, so, yeah, um, he was out. Yeah, <laughs> um, that'll do it. That'll do it. And in this meantime, too, in, in addition to Warren Beatty and Clint Eastwood, uh, they also took a look at Harrison Ford, Richard Gere, Tom Selleck, and even Mel Gibson to play Dick Tracy. Um, so Walter Hill came on board with Joel Silver as the producer, which, boy, that would have been a banger of a movie, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, Hill went back to Warren Beatty to play the lead but the film got stalled when artistic control issues arose with Beatty because Beatty is a hands-on kind of guy as we all know and um yeah so he'll want to make the movie uh violent and realistic if you've ever seen a Walter Hill movie that's no no yeah. surprise yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh while Beatty envisioned a very stylized homage to the 1930s comic strip um Beatty also um, wanted $5 million plus 15% of grosses, which the studio <laughs> wasn't that interested in either. So both Walter Hill and Warren Beatty left the project. So they started developing a lower-budget version with Richard Benjamin directed. Um, but they, and they couldn't come up with a script for it. And so it kind of uh, failed to launch, uh, like Matthew McConaughey. By 1985, the, mm-hmm. they couldn't come up with a script, and the film rights eventually reverted back to the original publisher, Tribune Media Services. However, Beatty bought them himself personally for $3 million that Fuck. Um, And so they moved the project from Paramount to Walt Disney Studios, and it resurfaced with Beatty as director, producer, and leading man. Um Meanwhile, at Disney, because this is in the Katzenberg-Eisner era, Katzenberg considered hiring Martin Scorsese to direct. Um, but he changed the, uh, changed the changed his mind. Beatty admitted, it never occurred to me to direct the movie. But finally, like most of the movies that I direct, when the time comes to do it, I just do it because it's easier than going through what I have to go through to get somebody else to do it. <laughs> Because he is a wonderful control freak. <laughs> um, Disney, though, was very nervous because um, despite having success, Warren Beatty was known for going over budget and really taking his time on things. And they look back in particular at 1981's film Reds, which if any of our listeners have not seen Reds, Reds is a terrific movie. 
Um, but they eventually um, agreed on an agreement that any budget overruns on Dick Tracy would be deduced from Beatty's fee as producer, director, and star. Uh, Beatty and regular collaborator Bo, Bo Goldman significantly rewrote the dialogue, but lost to Writers Guild Arbitration did not receive screen credit. Bo Goldman, of course, also wrote Scent of a Woman. Interesting. Uh, right around the plot thickens, indeed. Um, oh, and a uh, little shout out there. If you're not listening to the new season of the podcast, The Plot Thickens, which is all about Brian De Palma and Bonfire of the Vanities. It's a winner. It's good wow. stuff. Okay, I got to listen to that. Yeah. Uh, finally, though, Disney greenlit Dick Tracy in 1988 uh, under the condition that B keep the production budget within 25 million. Now, we're not through with this story, but we've already said we got to a 46. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, costs begin to rise once filming started and quickly jumped to 30 million. Its total negative cost ended up being 46.5. Um, boy, they spent about 100 million overall on prints, publicity, and everything. So, that 162.5 million that it made is not looking as good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were there is they were originally going to release it under the Walt Disney banner, but chose to do it under the Touchstone banner because uh, it was a little too mature for the Disney themes. Mm, that makes sense. I was actually going to ask that. This does have this does scream Touchstone to me. Uh huh. Um, some of the casting. Uh, Al Pacino was the first choice to play Alphonse Big Boy Caprice, awesome. but Rob, Robert De Niro was under consideration. Wow. <laughs> Of course, um, Madonna pursued the part of Breathless Mahoney. What a great name. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she offered, she worked for scale. Um, Sean Young claimed that she was forced out of the role of Tess Shuhart because she rebuffed sexual advances from Warren Beatty. Um, who knows? Um, it's He made it sound in 1989 that he just thought she was a mistake and he fired her. Um, who knows? Uh, if you, you know, we're not going to get into Warren Beatty's sexual history necessarily. Uh, he's never been accused of any like nefarious, nefarious crimes, but Warren Beatty has a, um, extensive, extensive dating history. Yeah. He does suffer from the affliction of being a horny freak. Like if he was, if he was a villain in Dick Tracy, he'd be be horny head. His kryptonite is the fact that he can't keep his pants on um (laughs) he'd be no pants yeah uh, yeah yeah his character is no pants um (laughs) interesting they um, a lot of the film they the most of it was shot on uh sound stages and back lots um they in in universal studios and at uh, warner brothers lot in burbank um 53 interior and 25 exterior sets were constructed wow um yeah, I mean, this is a impeccably designed film. Um, so it, when it came out, I think I've mentioned before, I um, was very, very enthralled with the Dick Tracy universe by the previews and everything like that. And I mean, I can only imagine what an eight-year-old seeing these images would feel like. Mm-hmm. It's and, very, like, it's a... I think this is like the perfect movie for a kid in the sense of like it, it 
it's clearly like you know it's very broad but it also doesn't like you know necessarily pander in the way that a lot of like kids programming like it's willing to kind of go that like that one extra step that kids appreciate you know what i mean you know what i mean like it, there's violence in it there's sex in it yeah um, or like you know well it feels a little lewd a little dangerous it's not yeah. really but it no, it's feels like, enough for a kid though yeah also notice too that um there's a lot of specific television advertisements centered on the kid the charlie corsmo character which kind of goes back to my thought about like he was a character that is when i was a kid because he's not much older than i am right uh that I could really identify with. And I was like, Oh, that's neat. He gets to go on adventures with Warren Beatty and Dick Tracy and, you know, do all this stuff. And then they also, um, I'm just looking at, they had 14 Dick Tracy action figures that I believe I had all of. Nice. I was, uh, I I collected them. I had the, I had the movie novelization. Like I said, I was Dick Tracy for Halloween. Even Um, I was very all in on a movie that oddly enough, though, as I've gotten older, like I think there was a part of me that I don't know if there you have these that like when you love something so much as a kid and then you become a teenager or a young adult and you're kind of like some people really, really get into nostalgia or some people kind of like really backtrack from certain mm. nostalgia things and almost pretend that they weren't that into it. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I, I'm kind of in that pool. Like I don't look back on something just because I liked it when I was a kid and say it's good now. Like, yeah, I think I liked hook as a kid and I've, you know, I don't think hook is good now. <laughs> I, I feel that like there's definitely things where like, um, there are definitely like uh, programs I watched as a child that I know now are like, you know, just objectively bad. Like in you, in I think we just we watched stuff when we were kids. so much of like what we watched as kids was just because like it was on at a certain time and there was nothing else on. Yeah, which is kind of like a neat. Like I'm I'm almost more nostalgic for that idea rather than the content itself. It's just this idea of like this is the only option if you want to watch TV. This is what's on. Yeah. So like, want guess, take it or leave it, man. <laughs> you know? I guess I'm just gonna become a fan of Dino Saucers now. Yeah, it's yeah. like I mean, God only knows if any of that like Disney afternoon stuff was actually any good. But it was on, and we all watched it. Yeah. And we I all know see- the we all know the words for the theme songs to this day. Oh, I mean, totally. I, I God, I did out of curiosity watch like the old school Ducktales, like an episode of one of those from uh, you know the one from like the eighties. Yeah. And, oh, I watched it when it was on. Oh, so, well, it's yeah. funny because like we, I used to, my grandparents had like satellite, and so they would get tuned Disney, and so I'd watch all those like. Even though, like, it was all long done by the time I was watching it. Like, I was watching a lot of those. And uh, uh, just watching an old episode of DuckTales, I was just kind of like, does it hold up? Is it like, because, like, I like the the comics are great. Like, the Carl Barks, the actual, like, uh, Donald Duck comics are, like, a lot of fun. But, well, uh, uh, you're on the record as being a fan. Oh, I'm a freak for the duck. But, uh, and Carl Barks and Don Rosa, great, great. Because uh, they're also just great craftsmen, like, in... God, you should just go on YouTube and just look up all of Don Rosa's weird videos about, like, you know, where he gives you a tour of his house and he just has this insane amount of Donald Duck memorabilia. <laughs> Truly, it rules. He, he, he loves his job and it slaps. Uh, but uh, 
but like the comic, like I read it, watching the cartoon, it's like, oh yeah, this is like clearly for kids and like, yeah, it's 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 good to like not, yeah, it's good to like you don't have to like things you liked when you're eight. Falling hook, line, and sinker for just being a nostalgia freak, or being someone who's like a cynic who hates everything from childhood. I think that there's a good like middle ground zone to be in where you can certainly honestly look at some of the stuff you liked as a kid and say, yeah, you know, I'm just not certain that the Sandlot could be my favorite movie anymore. Yeah. Uh, but also like, you know, I and mean, not to get too sentimental here, but having a little, having a little baby around, it's like, Oh, that, that is going to be neat. Um, to show them things like the Sandlot or Dick Tracy. Certainly. Oh yeah. Because like, um, yeah, the Sandlot is definitely one of those movies that like hits a certain way when you're a kid and probably doesn't hit the same way as a child. Uh, there are like, yeah. Cause the thing too is like, there is like, um, yeah, there is art from the past. Like, uh, like, yeah, like Don Rosa, like the Carl Barks duck comics, like the, like even I imagine some of the Chester Gould, like comic strips are probably hold up pretty well or at yeah least, like the aesthetic is interesting um, well, i mean it's something outside you know i watched um raiders of the lost ark a lot when i was a kid around mm-hmm. the same time period as we watched dick tracy and goonies sandlot and stuff like that but um as an adult i uh, i love raiders of the lost ark just the same i'm yeah. just as passionate about it i think it's but i and i think that might just be a sign of like good is good yeah, no, no, I totally. Don't. I think like there's things like yeah, like there's a reason that like uh like uh I'll occasionally go online and read like uh, Calvin and Hobbes comic strips. Exactly. Another yeah. another one. Yeah. Yeah, that holds of up that perfectly. Ilk. Yeah. And then there's like yeah, and there's then uh conversely there's a reason I don't go online and read uh fucking Garfield comics. Like yeah, like Yeah, and I you want to also like, and I think that actually may have been one of the reasons why I avoided watching Dick Tracy for so many years was you want to Mm. preserve the memory, yeah, more so than like. I don't even want to keep it alive. I just want to preserve that the happiness. Little Don felt in nineteen ninety about a weird yellow trench coat. (laughs) It's truly yeah, it is truly painful. Like, cause like I'm the type of guy who like I'll get these weird itches and I'll be like. Uh, does this thing from my childhood hold up? And like, I'd say I'd, it's usually like a one out of two. It's like a flip of mm-hmm. it's a flip of a coin where it's like lauded from childhood, and it's like it's. I'll go back and watch, and I'll be like, "Why are you lot like this? Isn't laud worthy?" Or even <laughs> like, uh, uh, like, hashtag no laud. Yeah, no lauds for you. Uh, I'm the laud Nazi. Uh, <laughs> What a great character I just made. Oh, boy. Yeah, uh, the <laughs> beloved children's character, the Laud Nazi. <laughs> the Laud Nazi. Oh, I'm not going to love this. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, uh, but like, you know, like, yeah, it's just I need to learn to not like, yeah, like I'd say like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't like watch an episode of Gargoyles, a show I liked when I was like seven. <laughs> And yeah, expect I, like uh, yeah, something better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to be ready. I mean, the the big moment for me is I, you know, as we all know, I worked at a record store when I was in college. Yes. And um, I had a coworker who's about uh, about two years older mm-hmm. than I am, but we met, you know, twenty years ago, so we were both in our twenties. Um, and he watched Goonies 
for the first time when we were working at the store. Mm. And he even he's like, the fuck is the deal with that movie? <laughs> like he was just like <laughs> this movie sucked. And I was like, dude, that movie is one of the greatest movies ever made. And then I kept looking at the DVD I had of the Goonies, and I haven't watched it since since he said that because I'm so uh, kind of petrified. But I know that like I'm gonna have like a truly wonderful experience watching it. Yeah, um, I think the Goonies with the is kid like- and that kind of stuff. So I'll just save it for that yeah. time. I don't need. I, you know what? I don't need it because I got <laughs> you know, fucking Dog Day and Donnie and the rest of the gang. Yeah. Those are in my life as an adult. Yeah, now. I think like the key is to like, yeah, just like learn how to adapt like culturally or like, yeah, like don't well, be like, yeah, culturally yeah. too. I mean, I think that you know you could say that for a lot of sadly a lot of things in this universe is learn how to adapt culturally. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh God. Yeah. That might be a valuable lesson for yeah. most, most people in society. <laughs> yeah. But it is like this thing where like, Oh God, like even like uh, watching the new space jam movie or like, uh, I haven't, like I haven't watched, I tried watching it. I, I got like five minutes into it and I gave up, but it's like, that was so clearly made for people that watched the original space jam. Yeah. And when I, Steven Soderbergh has a new movie called No Sudden Move just to the left of that on HBO Max. That you can have an enjoyable time with great actors and a new story. I, I, you know, I think that if you need it, God bless you, go for it. But living in nostalgia is a dangerous zone. And, you know, that's probably why I have huge doubt. I mean, I bought a copy of Dick Tracy for the show on Blu-ray, full disclosure. But I'm probably going to, it's probably going to sit on my shelf for another eight or nine years till I, till I see it. And I say to our daughter, I'm like, Oh, this is a fun one. We should watch this one together. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to well, kind of like, be the trajectory of this. And also to be fair, like Dick Tracy, infinitely better than space jam and space jam Two, which isn't like, mm-hmm. this isn't me like making a big, bold claim. I think it's just the fact that like, it's clearly people put like legit, like not that people don't put work into these other films, but like, there is clear like artistic choices being made and like moves being done and Al Pacino's performance. Like, yes, it's so cr- he's like fucking, he feels like Jeff Goldblum in the fly, like in one of his later moments when he's more like flyified and he's, just, but he's like, not a total fly, not a total. He's like mid fly. He's like 70% fly. But this goes to show Pacino's talent is the fact that like in all three of these movies, actually, I'm willing to argue for our next movie too. his performance He's doing what he needs to do. Yes. To within the context of whatever movie he is in. And so he's all in, no matter what. Uh, for better or worse, he's all in. And I mm-hmm. I admire that about him. And I think everyone involved in Dick Tracy was all in. I, there's nothing half-assed about Dick Tracy. I think, um, if anything... Vittorio Storaro's cinematography, mm-hmm. the lighting design, the color scheme of this film mm-hmm. is worth studying. It yeah. is tr- that actually, you know, the story might not do it for you, but every time I see it, every 10 years or 15 years or so, I'm like, damn, this is impressive stuff that they did this. They took, I mean, all this shit takes a ton of time, mm-hmm. what they did and all that. I mean, like, and it really has got a great stylized complete look there's nothing half-assed about it the the effects are great the makeup is great the costumes are great the 
cars, everything that they do is great. I want to give a special shout out to when I was a kid, I was super duper impressed with William Forsythe's flat top. Oh, yeah. Guess what? I still am. I think he's great. I think he's great. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like the matte. Like, oh man, I wish there were more matte uh, painting backgrounds. Same here. Oh, I love them. I think they're so cool. Even when they're kind of fake, I love them. Oh, if the Avengers movies had like more of those, like, like give me that over shitty CGI trash. Any day of the week. Yeah. Like rear projection of them driving in cars, matte paintings, uh, weird makeup that you can kind of see the lines on, yeah. um, all oh, of man. it. Like if like Tomorrow War had like the fucking like I wa- that's another movie where like I watched like thirty minutes of Tomorrow War. Also, I- um, we want we're starting a a very this is a very serious hashtag hashtag more Mitch less Pratt. Yeah, you, you'll know where you know what we're talking about when it comes to the, tomorrow war. <laughs> give us the Cohen cut. Yes, <laughs> we want just Mitch. <laughs> we want just, just Mike Mitchell, and yeah, and like make make Mike Mitchell fucking Doctor Druid or some shit in Mar in the Marvel. Make it like I will legit watch every fucking Marvel movie if, if Mike Mitchell if Mike Mitchell's him. involved. Yeah, yeah, if he plays fucking Howard the Duck or whatever he, the fuck. Oh, God bless. Yeah, let's let him. Look. What if he's the guy? What if he? Have you seen Howard the Duck, the original one? Uh, I've seen parts of it. I've never watched the full. Well, movie. Uh, I, I get the vibe of it. Well, like he plays the Tim Robbins part. For uh, instance, what if he did that? No, yeah. no, all we'd know is that the Marvel movies would finally have a legitimately funny person <laughs> in, oh, their, yeah, in their 100%. movies if they invited yeah. him into the fold. Yeah. Uh, him and why not um, Sam Richardson, too. Bring him yeah. into the Marvel oh, fold, Sam too. Sam Richardson's so good. I want to see the, uh, the, the, strong, the strong kids sketch on the new season of Think You Should Leave is a, is a winner. <laughs> Put it that way. Oh, hell yeah. And yeah. I want to see Werewolves Within. I want to, yeah. like... Yeah, me too. I have not had a chance to. I know that... Um, on our sister's brother podcast, uh, everything is scary. I imagine they will be covering it at some point. And if they cover it, guess what? I get to see it. <laughs> but I think um, I think Al's great in this movie. I think yeah, I, I, you made a point. I don't even know if you did this at the beginning of the episode. We've been chatting for a while, but um, you know, I'm happy he got the Academy Award nomination. But yeah. you made a really good comment that if he gets an Academy Award nomination for Big Boy Caprice. Danny DeVito gets an Academy Award nomination for the Penguin in oh. Batman Returns. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I think Danny DeVito was robbed 100%. Yeah. Like, yeah, not that like... Outside, they, of Fra- outside of Frank Reynolds, it's maybe his best performance. Oh, yeah, it's... I would go as far as to say it may be the best performance of a villain in any superhero movie. I think it's better than the Jack Nicholson Joker. You think I think it's better it, than the Ledger Joker? I think it might be better than the Heath, and I say that with all due respect to Heath Ledger. Uh, it's not I, better than Tom Hardy's Bane, though. That's true. Tom Hardy's Bane's <laughs> pretty good. I was I born. Know. I was born in the dark. <laughs> I was born in the dark. Oh, what a great! Remember, He's, like there was like a year where just everyone did that accent all the time, and it was like it's I still good. It. It's still it, fun. It doesn't feel tired to me. Like I'm a <laughs> oh, totally. I can do it. For- <laughs> It's, I, I would take a guy doing the Bane voice to me 
any day of the week over someone going Borat, my wife, or whatever. Yeah, like, although we tried, I, th- I remember when we first started doing improv together, I think one of the things that connected us is we, we tried to bring my wife back yeah. <laughs> at one of our shows. Yeah. <laughs> now, if it was Bane bringing back Borat, my wife, that'd be... My, my wife. My wife. My wife. <laughs> <laughs> the Majin. Somebody probably already did that. Uh, uh, I, was, oh, I was born in the dark, the dark of Kazakhstan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I know. Um, oh, but yeah, I, I think I think we both give a recommendation to Dick Tracy. Yeah, I think it's, um, fun. it's a fun movie. Uh, don't come in thinking you're gonna like. I don't know, learn something about society or really like oh hell no. Be yeah. be like be like swindled by a story, like a story element, like one of those Steven Soderbergh heist movies where like, holy crap, how do they get away with this? I'm gonna start using, by the way, um in the De Palma documentary, De Palma says holy mackerel a lot. Mm. And I think I'm gonna I think I'm bringing holy mackerel into my uh into my le- the, my lexicon. Oh, I love it, it. As a tribute to the man himself i was watching the doc again i can't believe christina didn't know it existed because it's like such a pivotal part of my life is the de palma doc um hey if de palma directed this movie that would have been wild too oh i can't believe i can't believe he wasn't if walter hill was on the short list de palma should have been on the short list for uh, to to direct this movie he is like the only other person i think that could like do something because i feel like scarface has like shades of uh, of Dick Tracy in it a little well, bit. Well, it's or just all. It's, maybe has shades of Scarface. It's just all about style. And man, yeah. if you if you like movies with style, then Dick Tracy's your jam. I mean, we're gonna talk at the end when we kind of sum things up. If any of these movies should have been in the tournament, um, I mean, I think we could probably spoil it by saying the only one is. No, actually, I think if you wanted to make a very contrarian Jack and Jill argument, you could. Yes, but um. Let's let's excuse me. Sorry, I got some indigestion thinking about what we're, what what's to come. Oh, <laughs> um, oh, God. Uh, um, <laughs> so the second movie we watched is Geely. Um, we're gonna do. I'm gonna do these statistics here, and I got oh, a very man. funny statistic about the budget. Um, <laughs> released in 2003, this film was directed, written, and produced by Martin Brest, who also did um, Academy Academy. I don't know if it's a favorite, but a noteworthy film in the Academy Academy lexicon and lore, Scent of a Woman. Um, also directed Beverly Hills Cop and Midnight Run, two legitimately good movies. Um, the cast for Gigli includes Ben Affleck, who plays the titular Larry Gigli. Yes, that's right. Ben Affleck is Gigli. That surprised Jen. <laughs> um, uh, Jennifer Lopez is in it. Uh, yep. Justin Bartha. Um, we'll get to him. That's the, they're the big three in this film. <laughs> uh, but we really cannot ignore some of the other cast members, including Lainey Kazan, who plays Mrs. Gigli. 
Oh, man. Uh, a, a curse scene. Jerry <laughs> um, Curry. This whole movie has a curse on Lenny, it. Lenny Venito, who plays Lewis, who goes to the same restaurant every day, because for some reason, in this very expensive movie, they could only go to this one fucking oh, restaurant it's location. The They're just at the fucking yeah. I- It's insane. It's like, yeah, um, what, what is this? On what planet is the mafia just, like, hosing down people at the fucking Ivy? We got We need to highlight everyone. Chris Walken shows up. Oh, yeah, he gets a Detective cameo. Stanley Jacobellis. Um, imagine Chris Walken saying that in his voice. And we're going to talk a little bit about Chris's scene because it's uh, it's noteworthy. It's, um, yeah, in some ways, Missy, an oasis in a, uh, a desert. In, in <laughs> some ways. In some um, ways. In some ways, not at all. And um, Missy Kreider, who plays Robin. Um, of. <sighs> Whose scene in the film is far less of an oasis. Um, <laughs> this, yeah, this, uh, and Al Pacino is Starkman. Starkman. Uh, the film was budgeted at $75.6 million. It made $7.2 million. Now, to put that into perspective, Ben Affleck's salary for the film Gigli was $12.5 million. Jennifer Lopez's salary for Gili was $12 million. So the combined salaries of the two leads, a cool $24 million. Fuck. It would have taken the movie to gain two more times what it made at the box, but at the box office to match its lead salary. Um, this might be the lowest we have. It has a 6% Rotten Tomatoes score. Uh, the critical consensus. Bizarre and clumsily plotted, Geely is a mess. As for its stars, Affleck and Lopez lack chemistry. All of that is 100% true. Mm-hmm. There are no lies in that critical consensus. No. Um, the cursed individual that liked this movie? I want to... So, oh, so... Um, <laughs> One of the few positive reviews came from Amy Dodds of Variety, who wrote that the story was ludicrous and the film a tank, but then on balance, she found it a fun film with several good performances. Mm. I don't believe Amy saw the same film that we did. Uh, she, it sounds like she, uh, <laughs> she was like, this is like... Maybe she variety. had two beers like you did after watching Donnie Brasco. Yeah. Spoiler for a couple weeks from now. Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. She might have yeah, been under the influence of two beers. That's true. Um, Ebert and Roper both gave it thumbs down, although Ebert showed some sympathy toward the film, stating it had clever dialogue. We'll just have put a pause in there for effect mm. uh but was too disorganized for me to recommend roper on the other hand called the film a disaster and one of the worst movies he's ever seen he then included Gigli on his list of 100 forced films of the decade at number seven very curious about one through six yeah <laughs> robert's an interesting cat i like yeah he he, he's a he's a he's kind of a chaos agent yeah um he's, so he's not, as, not as clear as G- siskel or ebert uh this movie obviously did not receive any gg or oscar nominations it i'm not a big fan of the razzies and i'm gonna preface this by saying i'm not a 
big fan of saying a movie sucks just in general because like work went into this and this is actually going to be something we talk about because everyone involved in this movie are actually quite talented people yeah um including ben affleck and lopez yeah and almost starting with them outside of martin breast um it um yeah, it was nominated for a lot of those Razzies, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, it won Worst Comedy of Our First 25 Years in, like, an anniversary show, even. Um, so, an interesting thing. That kind of comes back to something we talked about. Uh, oh, here, here's a good one. Um, Conan O'Brien, on his late lamented late-night show, told this joke. The Mets are doing so badly that they will be renamed the New York Gili. Ooh. 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 That's like you're entering Ishtar territory, buddy. Um, wow. The Onion esoterical newspaper ran an article about the film titled Gili, focus groups demanding new ending in which Affleck and Lopez die. We will discuss that in a little bit because we they the Onion may not be the only people came up with that concept but interestingly enough weird al yankovic wrote a song called virus alert from his album straight out of linwood including the line make your tv record gili as one of the negative effects of the titular virus Okay, that's the closing out music. Yeah. Okay, so, <laughs> which should end of this movie? Um, this movie, like, I, I, I want to avoid like hyperbole. Yeah. Here. Um, because it is these are these are ta- these are like we said these are all talented people who put seventy five inexplicable million dollars into this movie. Um, but we should say outright. Uh, reg- e- e- even if the movie had a like <sighs> coherent and compelling story, mm. um, this is one of the most hateful movies I've ever seen in my life. It is like, um, it is like Martin Brest before writing this movie, he like it's like he like accidentally like you know ran over the Romani lady from the movie Thinner. And as Martin <sighs> Brest was like, you know, trying to get her to the hospital or whatever, sh- she just said, asshole, asshole. Yeah. Like, and, and just as a way of like, and from now on, whatever he wrote, the main character would be unlovable. Well, I think that, you know, I know it's a hip nomenclature to say something is cursed. Yeah. Um, this movie genuinely feels oh. like it is demonically cursed at times. Yeah, it feels um, like... Uh, and, we do need to note Martin Brest, who we have said directed Beverly Hills Cop, directed yeah. Midnight Run, was nominated for picture and director for Scent of a Woman and won those awards at the Golden Globes. Has not worked since. Oh, it killed his. Yeah, it is. It like, killed his career. Were they filming on like Geron- Geronimo- Geronimo's grave? Stone. Oh, there's like poltergeist vibes of like building a yeah. um <laughs> a, a housing community over over graves over graves you should not have. Yeah, like, <laughs> do they build their set over fucking Dachau? Like what? Yeah, like yeah. what happened? It it's okay. So I just want to like run this down. So beyond the people we've already mentioned, Robert Ellsworth, Paul Thomas Anderson's Fuck. cinematographer. 
for almost Great. every Paul Thomas Anderson film who won for his work in There Will Be Blood, which is, you know, all time cinematography, mm-hmm. is the cinematographer in this movie. One of the editors is Billy Weber, who is Terrence Malick's editor. Like, the amount of people who are powerful, successful, and have done well. And this... So, um, yeah. I mean, there's a part of me like, I don't want this episode to go forever. And Patrick and I kind of already have joked that it might because of this movie. Yeah. Um, so this movie opens with Gigli, uh, who's played by Ben Affleck, who apparently Matt Damon says, if you bring up the word Gigli, he visibly shudders. Uh, and you know what? Rightfully fucking so. <laughs> For especially, I mean, yes, this is from the pen and the mind of Martin Brest. Mm-hmm. Ben Affleck, though, has to play Larry Gigli, who is the least likable character I have seen complete. Who? So I, I recently saw the film New York, New York at the new Beverly uh, Robert De Niro's character is a bad guy in that movie, but Scorsese never makes an attempt to redeem him or make him anything other than that. Yeah. Or like, what if that bad guy is actually a cool dude? who's just misunderstood. Yeah. Who, I mean, oh, there, yeah. I don't, I, there are, I feel like we are like Robert Frost. And we're looking down all the trails we can walk down in his yeah. famous poem right now in terms of where to start with this conversation. God, yeah, I want to start like so it opens with Gili has got this guy. He's he's busting his balls and he's breaking him down. But he's got him in a washing machine. And he's threatening to wash the damn guy. Um, Patrick, I don't know about you. I was fucking petrified that this is going to be a movie where Ben Affleck talked to the camera the entire time in that opening segment. I was genuinely like oh this can't be and that was in the first scene of the movie oh yeah well it's like to me this movie feels like martin breast he made scent of a woman scent of a woman is about an asshole too like like the slade colonel frank slade not a nice man. I think uh, we also need to mention that his movie between these two is Meet Joe Black, which is a three-hour bloated, insane movie in its own right. I'm now I I am like, I'm abs- I'm legitimately obsessed with Martin Brest. I, I would be willing. Uh, we've talked about we're going to do a you know you know we have like an idea of what our mini series is going to be in between uh, Academy Academy actors, but um. There is a, a wild part of me that's like, we could do like, you know, our breast Corraldo, where we just go through all of Martin Breast's oeuvre and see kind of like his, like, uh, his, like, his dramatic rise and kind of his insane fall. He, he is talented. He's he, good. He knows what he's doing. And that is like the truly bizarre quality to this movie. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that part of it, it's like his sensibility, he's trying to like take his brand of, um, cause he's like, he likes, I read something, he likes kind of jerks. He likes making movies about people that on paper you shouldn't like, and then showing that they're actually lovable. Um, 
And I think that helps with like in with earlier movies like Scent of a Woman. Um, the fact that it kind of has this like layer of schmaltz kind of like works in that movie's favor to a certain degree. Not saying it entirely works, but it's more like the sensibilities of the 90s suited his writing or Bo Goldman's script more than the sense of because if this 100% feels like a product of like the early 21st well, century. I mean, have you seen um, Get Shorty? Uh, no, I've not seen Or that. Out of Sight. Uh, yeah, I've seen Out of Sight. Out of Sight. So Brandon both those that. are Elmore Leonard adaptations. Uh, Get Shorty in particular is about a real, like, you know, wise guy in Hollywood. It's played by Travolta. Right. But Get Shorty's good and really fun. Um, yeah. But has the same kind of score, has the same kind of, like, cleaned up for general audiences, Tarantino kind of style. And this is really, like, a secret Tarantino ripoff movie too. Yeah. Well, I think it's also like, it really suffers from, this is like the peak of like, this is kind of, I was talking to a friend about this. This is kind of like the peak of like, um, like Democrats and Hollywood people for like the first time are actually kind of accepting gay people and bringing them into the mainstream or like people that are like other are, that are just not straight white males. Not Larry Gili. Yeah, that are, exactly. <laughs> Un-Larry gili S. And so as a result, I feel like the comedy of this era from like, maybe like from 1998 to 2000, like I feel like Hangover 3 is like the end of this style of comedy, maybe. Where it's also just, with our, for our friend slash enemy, oh, Justin just, Bartha. Yeah, oh boy, um, what a crime. You know, maybe I should... um. Maybe because I think we're both like spiraling here. Yeah. Oh. Totally. Uh, because this is a this this movie inspires that. I, I before I'm gonna do kind of a quick plot synopsis for our listeners who have not oh, seen Chile. Yeah. But <laughs> I also I also want to do a quick thought experiment with you, Patrick. Um, yeah. When you were watching Chile, did you want to share the experience with a lot of other people? Like, mm. I wanted to, like, show it to people I knew and be like, you believe this. It's tough. There is a part of me that's like, I want to show people that this is a movie that can exist. Yeah. But then, but then on the other hand, I feel like that would be a crime. And it's well, and it's like, and the problem, too, is there's not, like, a single moment in Gili that's, like, snappy enough where I feel like I'd have to show them a five-minute tract of the film perhaps chris walken's marie calendar's line uh or maybe like when justin bartha does hip-hop movements but not really though all right so larry gili is a low-ranking los angeles mobster according to the amazon hip uh, synopsis a hitman which i don't buy at all um who is not nearly as tough as he likes to act uh Lewis, a higher-ranking member of Gili's organization, who's played by, um, again, I want to shout him out, Lenny Venito. Great character actor. I love who, him. Who could, who, who could have so much more? But I think in, in a not at, not to the Bartha level, perhaps suffered because of Gili. Um, oh, totally. Like, I feel like yeah, he never. 
Yeah. So he asked Gili to kidnap um, the mentally challenged younger brother of a powerful federal prosecutor to use his bargaining chip to save New York-based mob boss Starkman from prison. Um, so Gili does that with Brian, who uh, Brian, uh, another thing that was too late for 2003, is obsessed with Baywatch. We'll get back to that. Um, Gili is rightfully... Not trusted by Lewis. So Lewis brings in another (sighs) vague member of the organization. I think it would be the best way to put it in Ricky played by Jennifer Lopez, who shows up. um, I mean, (sighs) I don't know how to put this. Not grassly. They, they make her seem like she is the most beautiful person in the history of the universe the entire movie the insanity of her introduction where like she knocks on the door but then they open the door and her back is to the door and she doesn't they do it just to show like you know the hair flip and it's just it's totally and the fact is that like they spend almost the entire movie with her character trying to teach Gili about proper sexual politics and men and women and stuff like that while also having her do half-naked yoga during the entire monologue to take away entirely from what she is saying it oh. is startling it's startling i it mean sucks. like <laughs> here's the thing like it feels like both of these people are doing hacky impressions to me i feel like uh ben affleck is doing a happy a hacky impression of robert de niro uh, he's doing like his take on a Robert De Niro, you know, unlikable taxi driver-esque character. And it feels like Jennifer Jennifer Lopez talks like Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. It's very, it's very weird. They, um, they both seem so uncomfortable with every single line that they are given. Yeah. Like well, top like, to bottom. I feel like for Ben Affleck taking this role, like what was it? $12.5 million? I mean, and- yeah, you take it. Yeah, well, it feels like this must. I feel like it must have felt like his like thirty pieces of silver. Like. Well, we have a, we we Patrick and I shared a lot of texts about kind of mythology and universe, godly punishment. Oh yeah, and, you know what um, the the universe and fate and you know in a sense there's like a Coen Brothers element to us all watching this movie. Yes. Um, you might say to yourself, this is $75 million movie, man. They got fucking budget to spare, right? Yeah. No. 50% of this movie takes place in Larry Gili's shitty apartment, and it plays like a horrific, horrific off-off Broadway play. Yeah. And so they're hanging with Brian, who I guess we should get to Justin Bartha right now. Do you want to take... You want to give a take on Justin Bartha here? Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I will say that, like, it's like he suffers from uh, MD, uh, IMS, mentally deficient in movie syndrome. Like, it is just like a type of, uh, it's like a type of character that's like, he has maladies, but the maladies are like very vague and only exist for like it's much like in the way that jill has a bunch of maladies that are played oh yes soon enough enough. yeah soon enough that are played for goofs um that's like the thing it's like he's like he's supposed to be kind of slow 
Uh, he has, I think he might be like, he might have Tourette's. I think they try to like imply like, cause he's, he'll say fuck a lot, but I can't, you can't tell if like, although I guess it's probably cause he listens to like hardcore hip hop, which is like the movie thinks that's the funniest fucking thing. Oh, like, they, yeah. they breast cannot get enough of, uh, yeah. him, him rapping in a, in a, uh, kind of awkward fashion. Yeah. Um, breast claimed that he worked in a New York hospital early on in his life and took a lot of notes there for how to portray Justin Bartha's character. So g- great. Uh, that, that, that's cool. That makes yeah. uh, that's it. It's great, like, man. The, in the beginning of like Justin, like the fact that he's there so easily able to take him out of the. I am oh. so confused. I, I am so confused by that. I'm oh, that still shit's confused. Cra- that. Also, like. Like they're just going to an apartment. It's all bullshit. It makes me mad. This they, movie is the cheapest, super expensive movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and like, <laughs> and the thing is, is like you can make like an if you're gonna be at a place for a long time, you can make it. It doesn't have to be like you know a spaceship to be interesting. Like one of the reasons why I love Dog Day Afternoon is they truly <laughs> make the bank the bank a like, character. Yeah. It's real. It feels real and it's great. It works so well. But in this fucking garbage movie, they give you the most generic sub friends, shitty hog shit apartment. It is just it's barely design, barely designed. So two things happen of note in this apartment beyond the anti. Well, actually more than that. But I want to highlight a few things. One, just going forward, Jennifer Lopez. Get this, folks. Crazy. She's also a lesbian. And get, that is just nuts. Uh, to Larry Gigli, at the very least. Yeah. And does Larry Gigli spend the next two hours after meeting Jennifer Lopez homophobically trying to convince her she's wrong about being a lesbian? Oh, 100% he does. <laughs> like, he is so hateful. It's a cruel man. He's such a piece of shit. And in between that is, of course, yelling at Justin Bartha, telling him to, quote, act normal. Sorry, you know, we got to give a full disclosure to the audience because we are, if nothing, we're honest men. We're the shame boys, but we're honest men. Um. We had a crying ass baby through this episode that Patrick and I have really been looking forward to this episode in a big way. Um, Got a CAB, folks. But we, yeah, and, you know, I blame myself, man. Am I a bad father the fact that I was like Fiener Formula wall watching Geely? Oh, man. I hope she doesn't like learn some, get some weird, like, she'll like walk by the Ivy one day when she's 27. And she'll just suddenly she'll start crying and she won't know why. Yeah, it's like she won't like, say like, man, I could use a $30 wedge salad. Yeah. Oh, no, you're depriving her of that wonderful treat. Yeah. A $47 uh, like overly yeah. cooked chicken dish. Yeah. A hamburger that makes you say, man, I probably would have preferred to wait in line and in and out. Yeah. It's like, yeah, a hamburger that, yeah, that makes you scream. I probably could have gotten this at the counter. Yeah. All right. So, so Larry Geely, Larry Geely. Oh, what a name! Fucking asshole. Uh, oh, he sucks. He, he sucks. sucks. And I we we have to make that clear to you, audience. 
he sucks and absolute shit and and i and i mean you know in the last episode of christina woo i i i think i had a pretty nice defense of ben affleck i'm a i am actually a ben affleck fan um this is not this is cursed this is not for him i mean i don't it's, it's legit he's doing like the shittiest robert de niro it is. Impression. It sucks. And you see him flailing, and you see him. I don't know. Like, I mean, you could probably say he's having some level of an existential crisis as this is going on. And okay, so we need to get Ben Affleck was also in a movie called Chasing Amy, the Kevin Smith movie, where yeah. he also tried to <sighs> flip sexual orientation. <laughs> um, is that the prop? Would that be the proper way to put that? Yeah, to, um, like, yeah, in the... movies that that entire plot concept is improper. Um, this movie makes chasing Amy look like a portrait of a lady on fire, level, nuanced, and tasteful. Yeah, this, study this... of sexuality and life. It um, looks like yeah, yeah, chasing Amy. Uh... No, G. Lee makes Chasing Amy look like Alison Bechdel's fun home in terms of, like, nuance when handling uh, sexuality. And it, 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 if, you, if you ever thought the term classy and Kevin Smith could be put in the same sentence, oh, you will do it after watching G. Lee. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so he cool. maintains nonstop in his terrible apartment. And it's so weird that we are in this apartment for so long in a movie that is ostensibly a big budget Hollywood production. Yeah. Um, and then uh, yeah, it really is, you know, you made a comment about Guantanamo. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> you're saying, you're just like, what is happening? And you think about them making the movie. All smart, successful people. Mm-hmm. And they knew it. They felt it as it was going down. I just don't know. And then at 45 minutes and Christopher Walken shows up. Oh, man. He's a detective who, for some reason, is on to Larry Gigli. Don't worry, folks, though. This never comes up again. Yeah, he like, <laughs> uh, he, he, uh, as if like, uh, he, he, he just, he, he, uh, appears out of nowhere and then just immediately evaporates into nothing. It is, it, it is, is truly astonishing. In a sense, it's like an independent production. It's like, hey, we can get Chris Walken for a day. We well, gotta, because he's great. But yeah. It, whatever it, is happening when he shows up, but, Folks, you got to go to YouTube to just see this moment where he's for his, you know, five minute scene. He's in the movie. General kind of Walken-esque interrogation of what's going on in this apartment. Almost as if it's funny, too, because initially it almost seems as if he's like critiquing the entire movie. Like, yeah, like he, he has like a line that's like, it's almost like this is too stupid to have. Like, this is the, what, what, what I, the plot of this movie is almost too preposterous to even be a movie. You think it might be meta until he asks Affleck if he's hungry. And uh. then Walken <laughs> launches into perhaps 
Bruce Wayne, what are you doing dressed as Batman for? <laughs> like level of walkingness where he suggests they go to Marie Callender's and get some pie and go to YouTube, look it up. It is the most insane line reading I maybe I've ever seen in my life. I mean, if there was like more of that energy in this movie, yeah, it would, it would have the potential to be like a bad good. And movie. we're we're gonna get to it with Jack and Jill the the glory and kind of band aid that absurdism can provide a bad movie. Yeah, um, it can uh, per, per, uh, per, per perform upon the poor souls uh, witnessing it. So, um, but yeah, it. None of it matters though, because Walk never appears mm-hmm. again. The rest of the movie, there's no one really on to them. You're not entirely certain if this is a crime that's happening. Yeah. But then the movie progresses. Somehow, Affleck and JLo, it turns into some level of a perverse romantic comedy. Like as mentioned, she does like a ten-minute monologue, wearing barely nothing, while doing yoga, telling about why men should respect women, while the camera is caressing her body, not respecting it at all. Oh, um, uh, by the way, they uh, the, the the Martin Breast needs to like apologize to, uh, and I'm gonna butcher this name pronunciation. I apologize to uh, Tick Not Han, the author of Being Peace. Uh, a, a book prominently featured in this movie, probably a good book, and I would. Oh hate, yeah. yeah, it's it's be better like, than watching. Read that. Don't watch Lee. Oh sure. yeah, read Being Peace. Yeah, because it's like sight you know, unseen, sight unseen. Oh, hundred percent. It's like yeah, and I think it's like a spiritual book or something like that. And I would, yeah, I would hate to be a person trying to achieve some sort of religious, uh, uh, clarity, and then to have and then have this book be prominently like i i don't know like i would just we, it would kill we should me. mention jennifer lopez's thing is eastern philosophies Ooh. in this film and it, yeah it sucks as much as you would imagine yeah so um i was gonna jump ahead to when the the hell the reason for all of this al pacino shows up but we have not talked about missy Kreider seen as robin the ex-lover oh, of Jennifer Lopez's character, who shows up at Larry Gigli's house at a 10 and takes it <laughs> all the way there to the point where she suggests some level of kind of an orgy esque situation. And then that, and of course, Larry's way into that. Um, He's like, oh, me horny. Like, like despite the like- fact that Jennifer Lopez is clearly not interested right now. And this woman is in the midst of a serious Ugh. mental breakdown. The other woman there. Um, yeah. So she says she's going to commit suicide. And guess what? She slits her wrists right on screen. And I, I don't mean to make light of any of this kind of these, 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 these stink. And these are tragedies and people deserve to be listened to and talked to and helped out. You know, we want to show a lot of we're there. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, but this is true. I gasped in this scene, like the way it escalated, the way it went and the way that they actually took it as almost like a physical comedy joke that she slid her wrist. It's offensive. It's appalling. 
It's unnecessary. Um, there's nothing. There's negative positivity to it. It is like uh, it endears you to no one involved. No. Um, and yet it kind of brings Geely and Ricky closer together. Insane. Insane. Um, so they start to love Brian. Uh, Justin Barth's character, if you've already forgotten, because it's easy to do. Yeah. Uh, oh, and Brian has already uh, displayed multiple occasions of his prowess at rapping. Yeah, he loves uh, to swear. He loves to. He loves talking about uh, "Baby Got Back" and uh, tell. And really, I mean, this movie really leans heavily on the boy. Isn't it funny when people use the word "fuck" as emphasis? Um, yeah, or like it's, it's not. Like, and folks, it's not. Yeah, I mean, or it's like. Our, when white people like black stuff it's it's crazy it, it is like that level of like oh so man like the, you, the if, rapping if you, grandma looks like an eloquent like it looks the rapping grandma and the wedding Sand, singer Sandler's stuff yeah. in Jack and Jill is clever comedy oh yeah by comparison to what's oh. happening here so um For some inexplicable reason, Affleck and Jennifer Lopez actually have sex. Um, yeah, well, she, actually- she she's wearing a kimono while it's happening oh, too. God. That needs to be noted. Um, and she says the immortal line because she gave him a endless, deathly, unclever, poorly written, depressing monologue about the differences between men and women's oral sex prowess earlier in the movie. We forgot to mention that. Heaven forbid we forgot to mention that. Um, So she leans over and she, her line to entice him is gobble gobble. And if you think folks that this is the the nadir of where we're going, there's a half hour to go. Yeah. in this movie and we're not even talking about the insane like like the steps because like it's all starts out with with Lee the- looking at his hands like uh and uh quote unquote a feminine way uh he's he's emasculated which makes him likable yeah well it's like it's like he's a feminine he's feminine and she's like it's like i'm a masculine lady you're a feminine man <sighs> So that equals uh, we can fuck. It's it's this this it's is chaos. A, this is a startling movie. It's so it's it's, like, it's, it, it's uh, so um poo poo stinky. So then they get called. Guess who's in town? Starkman. You remember Starkman? You don't. Oh, yeah. Check you out don't. Starkman. You don't. You don't remember Starkman. Cool. Starkman is the the mobster who set this entire domino effect of whatever the fuck has been going on uh, into motion. What, Get, and what planet is there a fucking mob boss in Los Angeles in the year of our Lord 2003 named Starkman? Well, also played by, and I'm going to spoil it, Al Pacino. Fucking Wait, Al Pacino God. is no Starkman. No. Al Pacino is Fanucci or something like that, you know? Yeah, which would make more sense because I think there still is some kind of mob outfit like in this part of the world. There is, but they they did not do any work. 
in oh, no, looking at is, that any of that like dick tracy looks like an a a uh a like a work of extreme uh like research like dick it, tracy is like fucking prince of the city compared yeah. to this. Oh, it's mean, like, like a fucking don winslow book yeah yeah like yeah like, like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah it reaches the seedy level of a james Elroy novel exactly. um <laughs> so they visit starkman starks is played by pacino pacino comes in rolling uh, he was he was a cypher sore eyes he's he's got a great super duper weird baggy suit that's happening he's got a ponytail he's got some gray in his hair he's he seems to be playing very effeminate um he's having fun he's honestly having fun with it but all of the fun is taken away because uh, not only is Gigli there not only is ricky there but lewis <laughs> lenny Venito, who from minute one to this last minute he's in the movie just disrespected and sad. Um, Al Pacino shoots him in the head, and it's great. So we should note there has been no violence in this movie save to for, this point. Yeah, save for like a uh, suicide. Threat, yeah. The threat of violence, yes, yeah. in the suicide. Um, and this is also an hour and thirty minutes into this movie, a two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. So Al does not show up until an hour and thirty minutes in, and he shoots a guy point blank in the head the guy's brain matter flies into a fish tank behind him and one of the tropical fish eat his brain mm. startling um not uh just i you know you're shaken yeah by in, a, in another uh, movie that'd be cool like if this was like a kind of like it's a- incredibly clear they're thinking about the shot in pulp fiction where he shoots the guy in the back of the car yeah, like is the accidental shooting the comedy that's played for it, and obviously that's very dark what yep. Tarantino's doing in Pulp Fiction. But this is terrible, yep. and just terrible. And then you think this might be the ultimate insult, it might be. Pacino then explains that none of it mattered in the first place, uh. and the entire kidnapping of the Bartha, everything that they did wasn't really all that necessary. And then JLo gives some inexplicable, incoherent monologue to get them out of it. Um, and that's that for that for the entire mafia storyline. And you're left saying to yourself, like, there's 20 minutes left in this movie. Pacino, spoiler alert, is only in one scene. This is very clearly him saying to Marty Breast, Thank you for winning me the best actor at the Academy Awards for Scent of a Woman. I'll drop by and do a scene. Yeah, I can be the cherry on the top of your turd Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can. Uh, Yeah, Pacino may not have known what the rest of this movie was, for all we know. Oh, totally. He probably just read, like, the one, like, you know, bit. And it's like, okay, this dialogue's kind of interesting, I guess. I'll I'll work with it. Yeah. So, um, they're out. They're out. Who knows? Yeah. What were the what, what were the stakes? What was the story? Uh, what love- was going on at all? The- they end up in Malibu. Uh, They're driving on the beach. Guess what? First, some reason, uh, perhaps 
an episode of Baywatch <laughs> is being shot on the beach, which gets Brian very horny. Um, <laughs> Did they motherfucking drive through a time warp? And like, yeah, the like, entire concept of like Baywatch is being this wonderful punchline that is just like the best. This was 2003. I grew up in the 90s. Baywatch was pretty done by 2003 yeah. as a as a pop cultural relic. And it's also very like sub Tarantino. It's like, you know, you couldn't get fruit brute as your cereal. So you're going you know, Baywatch as your pop cultural oh, reference point. God, it sucks. Oh, it, it, it's so, so they and then like the syrupy music comes in and Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck are going to drop Justin Bortha off at his like wherever the fuck he lives um, and it was not ever really looked for, by the way, um, after they took him out of there the first time around, um, they stop and drop him off at Baywatch. Somehow, inexplicably, he becomes an extra on Baywatch and dances with this Australian babe. Um, Whatever. And then I press pause. And I'm like, there's 10 minutes to go? And this, what else is going to happen? So Affleck gives Jennifer Lopez his... The best part of this movie is Affleck's great Chevy Impala. Um... Yeah, it's a great looking car. Um, he gives it to her. No reason. I don't know why he gives it to her. Do you know why? No. He gives it to her. She drives off. And she leaves standing there. He's like, man, I got to walk home from Malibu or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. I don't know. <laughs> Bye, Brian. You're fending for yourself yeah. now. But this is when the apocalyptic <laughs> thoughts came into my head. I'm like, the only way to end this movie. Uh, there's a few ways. Um, mm-hmm. One, you know, Sheely's looking back and what if he was just struck down by a massive heart attack in the moment. <laughs> that would rule. That would yeah. be, that'd be and cool. And just <laughs> drop dead. And we watched this movie. It's like, this is a nihilistic, just brutally like bleak film. And then the, the real thought that crossed my head was just pan the camera over to the Pacific Ocean. And yeah, the tsunami wave from Deep Impact yeah. is coming in. Like the end of... <laughs> I couldn't think, help but think of a serious man, the Coen brothers, great film about, you know, being Jewish in Minneapolis. And I just was like, this really is it. This movie could be a Coen brother esque thing about like God punishing idiots. Yeah. For their misdeeds and cinematic misdeeds, because I think you could have even panned over and shown Martin Brest behind the camera as that wave was coming in. Like, you know? <laughs> no, like you, suddenly it, the, the scene changes and you realize, like, you know, if the camera pans back and you realize you're in the the uh, the uh, underground lair of the aliens from the abyss with Ed Harris. And yeah, this was the yeah thing I thought of the abyss, that, too. I thought of the abyss, too. <laughs> this is yeah. the thing that proves humanity isn't worth it. And Ed yeah, Harris Ed Harris is, like, is like, I get it. I get it. I You show me two hours of this and I get it. <laughs> yeah, we fucking suck. This was a my my entire adventure was a fucking waste of time. My my idealism is dead. (laughs) Drown me, please. Yeah, like I'm ready. Jeez, I should let Michael Bean win. Michael Bean was right. Michael (laughs) Bean was right. Uh, Justice for Bean. Yeah, justice for Bean. 
but I know. So Affleck like reflects about something or the other, and then Jennifer Lopez shows back up. They get in the car, they kiss, and they drive off into the sunset, and that's the end of the movie. And then the credits roll, a song plays, and then they cut back to Bartha rapping Baby Got Back. Um, We usually don't do this on the show. We usually don't go scene by scene through these movies, but uh, this was necessary. But, uh, oh, in man, Within this... the universe of what the Academy Academy talks about, yeah, this is terrible. <laughs> oh, it's so, it is like this, like, oh, art can be bad. It is like a true, like... And oh. art can be a failure. Yeah. Because all of these people set out with good intentions. Yeah, Martin there was never, Yeah, there was never an idea that he was not going to follow up Meet Joe Black with another... You know, big Hollywood movie. Uh, um, he's never worked again. Uh, you know, we've joked about the idea that he's walking the earth right now. Yeah, he's like a wandering <laughs> Jew type character. Yeah, seeking atonement. <laughs> yeah, wandering breast. Yeah, just like, yeah. He made uh, Chile and God shunned him. Although it's very funny, the wandering breast. That sounds like a Philip Roth novel. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah sounds like a Philip Roth novel or a Russ Meyer film. Like, yeah. yeah. Or a Roger um, Corman film that starts yeah, with Vincent Price. Which would have yeah. actually been far more entertaining than this. Oh, uh, totally. So a couple of fun facts before we move on. Uh, Halle Berry was originally supposed to play Ricky. Man. Uh, scheduling conflicts with X-Men Dose ended that. Uh, the original ending of the film... Guess what? Gili was killed, but there was negative audience response to a test screening, so the ending was reshot and re-edited. God. Um, apparently, too, that uh, the producers tried to were, you know, we haven't talked about that uh, during this time period. Pop culturally, the Benefer phenomenon jennifer lopez and ben affleck of course were dating in real life and this was a major uh topic of discussion among the tabloids and um in essence they were like oh wait we need to make this a romantic comedy so that got fucked with and breast got fucked over uh with that because that was a producer decision to try and make it more about like capture the moment right uh hit the zeitgeist and you know, obviously that was not the film Breast was interested in making. Um, so, I mean, you get the point. We talk about it for a fucking hour. Uh, this is a disaster. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a dark mirroring of Scent of a Woman. It is correct. And, 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 and many movies could actually go in this direction. Yeah. Uh, well, and the thing, too, is like, it is like, there was a part of me that's like, I wonder if Son of a Woman would be better if, like, it had focused more on Slade. And I feel like this, like, definitively answers that question, no. Because, like, you realize that you need, like, that Stingo character. Yeah. Like, you need someone relatable. That's a good and, point that Chris O'Donnell is uh, very much a Stingo in yeah. the in Academy Academy lore. One of the best, like, I'm, like, I... A better Stingo. Yeah, a better a Stingo. Stingo. He's a hell of a Stingo. And yeah. I think, like, this movie lacks a Stingo. They're all, like, none of the three leads are relatable in any way. Well, they're not likable at all. No, Period. And I'm not a big, I am not a big believer in the idea that everything has to be likable. Yeah. But 
there has to be something that draws you in. Um, you know, and to kind of close out with Julie, like enter at your own risk. If we have intrigued you, mm-hmm. just let us know. Don't blame us. Yeah. After spending those two hours, like, and I don't like saying a movie sucks. I'm not going to necessarily say that here, but this movie, I don't think it's calling it a disaster is also the same as saying it sucks and all that kind of thing. Um, I, it's, it's a stunning way to spend two hours. We'll just put it that way. Uh, it's an interesting, uh, experiment or exercise and seeing like, uh, just a great example of how, like, because every writer, director, actor kind of has flaws and it's kind of like this perfect, uh, tsunami of, just everyone's flaws are accentuated to their fullest. Yeah, it just yeah. It, it it just doesn't work. And if it didn't work, it would be one thing. But it's also, again, we cannot reiterate this enough. Deathly hateful. Um, yeah, a cruel film. A cruel film. Yeah. On top of that, that all of its humor relies on cruel humor. And um, I didn't laugh once. No, <laughs> like, I. Th- there's maybe like one or two moments where I like I laughed in like shock or surprise or I maybe I ironically laughed like in the sense of like oh my yeah. god I can't believe they're doing this. But well, like, yeah, no. again it was more gasps and shock and awe. Yeah. Um. I, I yeah. Think there's. I do think there's like a way like. I legitimately think like if you'd gotten like. A Robert De Niro, a Robert De Niro esque, maybe like an Adrian Brody. Uh in the Ben Affleck role, someone that would make more sense in that role. And then uh, I would almost say cast the Jennifer Lopez character as a man. And then you, it becomes like Ben Affleck, the Ben Affleck character, maybe learning about like, like he has a relationship with the guy. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Trying, like, uh, to, no, I mean like uh, coming, here. just coming to terms with his sexuality. Exactly. Cause, it's, yeah. like, Cause I think that is like a thing about that movie where it's like a guy who's very masculine. That's like afraid of his feminine side, but like, it's so like, man, it's like trying it's, to it, fix it. Uh, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it's not, I'm, I shouldn't even be going down this road. It's a dark. No, yeah. there, there's no fixes here. Yeah. Um, and Al Pacino does not register. Nope. Just period. Like the, he's the least memorable part of the movie. For, it's good for him, honestly. Good for him. He walks away very unscathed. Oh yeah. From also, all of uh, this. reason seventy-five. Why I hate this film. I was always under the impression. A friend of mine told me in high school, in college, that uh, Christopher Walken had a clause like in his contract where, like, in any movie he's in, he has to dance in it. And I believe that for the longest time. And he doesn't dance in that movie. No. So that 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 that's obviously I knew it was alive, but the dream was alive in my head. This movie is a, 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 a severe bummer. It kills dreams. <laughs> like it's a yeah. shattering movie. It's um a and pressure. it's streaming on stars right now if you want to watch it. Yeah, no, don't be like me. I think I paid like a weirdly, it was like 360. It was like a weird price. I um, you know, heads up to Academy Academy heads out there. Um, a great deal of the movies we watch are streaming on Stars. So um, you know, it's it's you know, yeah, subscribe to Stars and you get a chance to watch them all. There are many movies that fall into the so bad it's good territory of things that you and your buddies and your friends can get together and riff. Tell, jo- tell jokes. Enjoy yourself watching. I mean, I'm as big of a room fan as anybody. Yep. 
Gigli is not one of those movies. <laughs> no, it is. Uh, it is a vacuum of joy. It doesn't work for any of that kind of stuff. And if you try and watch it at a party with friends, it's going to kill the vibe of the party, oh, man. It is not a party <laughs> like it's going to be bad. It's bad. Oh, it's okay. so or just like- a he- just a heads up to all you listeners who might be thinking like, oh, you know, this could be one of those like, hey, it was so bad. It's good. We'll riff. We'll tell some jokes on the screen. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. I'm, yeah, I'm going to say, if on the off chance, and this is only for our more um, mature, like our, our, our more uh, advanced viewers, our advanced filmgoer mm-hmm. viewers, if you want to... Advanced like, Academy, Academy. Yeah, Academy <laughs> Plus. Uh, yeah. If, you, if, you, uh, if you think you have what it takes to watch this movie and uh, not, you know, just shut it off and discuss, fairly so, in like the next 20 minutes... Um, yeah, go into it with like, just be like, hey, I'm watching this just to like, you have to let people know how shitty it is. You have to like let people know, like, it's going to be offensive on every level. Yeah. Yeah. It's an unpleasant, hateful movie. And I, yeah. don't, I know we have said that before, but. Yeah. Sicking sick, this movie on someone without giving them the proper, like, know how is like a crime. So don't, mm. yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't think you're getting a troll too here. Um, so our third movie of this evening. Oh, man. Um, boy, get ready. 2011, Jack and Jill. Directed by Dennis Duggan, screenplay by Steve Corin and Adam Sandler, story by Ben Zook, starring Adam Sandler, Katie Holmes, and Al Pacino. Uh, one thing I'm noting here, too, cinematography by Dean Cundy, who also shot The Thing. So, wow. you know, yeah. life happens, as Jeff Goldblum would say. <laughs> uh, <you know. laughs> um, the budget of Jack and Jill get out of town 79 million dollars uh no no one took a pay cut on jack and jill uh box office was 149.7 million uh relatively successful shockingly enough this has a lower approval rating on rotten tomatoes than uh gili it is a three percent approval rating wow Critical consensus reads, although it features an inexplicably committed performance from Al Pacino, Jack and Jill is impossible to recommend on any level whatsoever. Wow. (laughs) Um, uh, Critics from the Daily Beast, Austin Chronicle and Time have declared it to be the worst Adam Sandler film. Uh, Noted issues in other Sandler films were present and even worsened. In Jack and Jill, common criticisms were targeted toward crude humor, product placement, celebrity cameos, and a sentimental ending that contradicted the film's mostly mean-spirited tone. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All true. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, it won a ton of the rad golden Razzies. You know, yeah, whatever. We're not going to go through it. Um... He, uh, the same year though, he broke the record for most nominations by one person because the same year, Bucky Larson, born to be a star, mm-hmm. I believe that was a Nick Swardson joint, and um, just go with it. Also, were released. Um, 
Oh, golly. Uh, analysis. Uh, according to critic A.O. Scott, films like Jack and Jill and Grown Ups 2010 present a com- comedy style representative of Sandler's grumpy, dumpy middle age phase, whereas 90s films had an aggressive immaturity with themes of anti-authoritarianism and rebuffs of decorum. His early 2010s output depicts Sandler playing wealthy protagonist who mocks those with perceived to be odd physical appearances and ethnicities. Um, <laughs> Uh, Jack, who has a higher status job with a house and a family, is the straight man, while the target of the humor is, is his uh, Bronx residing sister's rude attitude, nasally high-pitched voice, neediness, and low intellect, i.e. her lack of knowledge of the internet, which is a strange, strange bit it in this movie. It feels like a movie made in, like, or the script feels like the script could have been made in, like, 1998, and um, it would still work, maybe. It has a general, like, nasty attitude towards women. We'll just put that out there, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Like, women not treated well by this film. Um, whether that be um, common beauty standards of women as mocked in the Jill character and also later on in a absurd cameo from David Spade. Uh, or um, giving uh, his wife, who's played by Katie Holmes in this, literally nothing oh, yeah. like the barest bones of a character who's all who's like entire job is to say oh jack <laughs> like basically like, it's like it, yeah it is legit like it reminds me of like that um mr show sketch where it's uh bob odenkirk and david cross are like two dicks at a bar and uh you know i think david cross is like i'll marry your ass and occasionally you will get like um uh who is the lady who now hosts that really popular My Favorite Murder podcast? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, oh boy. Hi, this is uh, Patrick editing the podcast here. The name I am trying to think of is Karen Kilgriff. Oh, I am a fool. Now back to the podcast. Yeah. We, yeah. We'll look know, at it. I'll yeah. Look at it. We'll, yeah, we'll add it in. But, like, she will occasionally appear and just go, oh, man. Yeah. And, like, it's like that That character has more, like, gravitas and, like, dimensionality than Katie Holmes' character in Jack and Jill. Yeah. So, um. At the very least, they could have given her a, like, weird trait, like the two kids. Like, yeah. You know, so, Sandler has two kids, uh, one <laughs> biological, one adopted. Um,. One of them uh, dresses like the American Girl dolls that they have. Yeah, personality and, dresses like American Girl dolls. And then the other one, um, <laughs> tapes. A, a startling <laughs> choice. <laughs> it, it, it becomes increasingly chaotic. The, as he ki- the kid just tapes stuff to himself. <laughs> that's, um, that's his character. That's the entire character. <laughs> he tapes. He tapes a, a salt shaker. He tapes a, a, a bird, live bird. Yeah. He um, a live lobster. Where'd he find a live lobster? So the magic of Jack and Jill, and I'm going to say that, is the fact that when it is funny, it's when it leans in on absurdity and insanity. Yes. It doesn't take itself seriously in the slightest in the same vein that... Um, Sheely does um that being said it remains a mostly hateful and ugly film <laughs> um, uh but there were a handful of moments where i very much laughed while watching jack and jill um 
and mo- almost all of them involve utter absurdity. Uh, but I think we should just cut to the chase here and talk about the fact that in this film, Al Pacino is playing the role of Al Pacino. He's playing himself. Uh, basic storyline is that Jack uh, is a very, very successful commercial director. He has to do a spot for Dunkin' Donuts. They have developed an ad campaign around the concept of the uh, previously mentioned Dunkachino, and they want Al Pacino in it. Al Pacino's never done a commercial. He's a serious actor. So Jack has to pitch him on it. Uh, he goes to a he finds out Pacino is going to be at a Laker game uh, that Jack brings his sister, Jill, who is pretty much defined by Jack as a psycho weirdo. And really, she's just kind of quirky and Sandler doing very broad choices. Um, they go to the Laker game. Pacino is sitting with, of all people, Johnny Depp. Yeah, wearing a Justin Bieber shirt, which I, I feel uh, like that has to be like a cutout bit involving Justin Bieber. Something. Um, and it was kind of it was kind of fun to see a kind of bleak Donnie Brasco reunion. <laughs> yeah, it is like uh, the grimmest of Donnie Brasco. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, you know, we talked about it. we would have liked to see an entire movie of them courtside just describing where their lives have been. Uh, but the big thing that happens out of this is that Pacino catches the eye of Jill and Pacino gets the hots yeah. for Jill. Uh, obviously, that's fucking hilarious. Um, and yeah, and antics ensue. He wants to date Jill. Jack sees it as an opportunity to get Pacino for his uh, commercial by kind of using the situation to his advantage. Uh, they do a lot of... But Pacino... Uh, you know, as described in the Rotten Tomatoes review, is inexplicably committed yeah. to the, to everything he does, and he's pretty funny. <laughs> so, I will say that, like, it, um, he is, I'd say, my favorite part of the movie. I'd say either him or maybe Tim Meadows. Those are two. Tim Meadows. Oh, what a Tim Meadows is always a treat. Oh, he's so good in this movie. Yeah, and he's it's very so funny. funny. It's literally like. All he has to do is just like be himself in this like super thankless role uh, to be like, because it's like, yeah, he's playing like an office mate of like Adam Sandler and he doesn't really even have, he's like, and maybe in some ways it's a good thing. He doesn't have to do some crazy, like, he doesn't have some crazy trait. He's not like, uh, uh, yeah, like he doesn't tape himself, stuff to himself. He's not. Uh, you know, equally crazy, not an eight. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> so uh, the other office may is played by, of course, uh, Nick Swartzen. Yeah. Uh, Sandler regular, as is Meadows, frankly. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, Swartzen, <laughs> two traits are he's annoying and he's an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and it turns out everyone else in the Jack and Jill universe is a uh, God-fearing person. Yeah. And which leads to one of the funny parts of the movie is when Swartzen's again called out for being an atheist and they're at a party. 
John McEnroe playing himself shows up and just starts screaming at Swartzen that he can't yeah. trust an atheist. It's like, and, was it like, what kind of dummy doesn't believe in religion? Like, it's yeah, so broad it's, and crazy. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. But it, it made me laugh. It, it did it make is, me like, laugh. Nick, Nick Swartzen is a bright point of this movie. He is like, and I'll tell you what, I... <laughs> I've had the unfortunate pleasure of seeing uh, the opposite of pleasure of, of watching the film Bucky Larson on a plane. Oh man, that movie is probably like represents like the, the, the nadir of like happy Madison productions. Yeah. And, and just to see him in a movie playing a normal no, guy. It's no grandma's boy. Oh God. No, it makes grandma's boy look like fucking like fucking Caddyshack or yeah, something. Or the jerk. It's just yeah. like, yeah, that level of like, but it's like, it's like nice to see like Nick Swordson in this. Like he's playing a normal person. Like <laughs> I, I want to do have a full disclosure around two thousand four, two thousand five. Um, I found Grandma's Boy to be a absolutely hilarious movie, and I own the DVD. And, I've never, I've never and I haven't seen, seen it. I have not seen it in a decade. I have no idea how it's aged. I'm sure there are jokes in it that are um. <sighs> inappropriate for this day and age but i need to for the sake of honesty for the academy academy listeners uh let you know i did not hate it by any means i actually quite liked grandma's boy hey you know we all have our like i i really like little nicky i think that movie holds up i'm a little nicky fan too yeah, uh but yeah i like so um meanwhile uh because Jill is just freaking catnip for the guys. Yep. Uh Sandler's landscaper, who's played by Eugenio Derbez, also falls for Jill. Uh and they make boy, what a pair. You know? And it's and uh, kudos to like uh uh Adam Sandler for being a he's like more cosmopolitan than uh most comparable directors creating films of this ilk uh there's something nice about yeah seeing yeah uh eugenio Derbez from mexico he's a big movie star in mexico uh, he's done he's done some like work in america too he's done some crossover work and uh seeing god alame who's like a big french comedian who i think is like jerry seinfeld is a big fan of him and uh, uh shaquille o'neal who played center for the lakers yeah exactly uh from lakers land like, yeah. like i said we've I've, I've talked to, uh, to, to, to i've talked to todd about like how i want a uh i really want a happy madison wages of fear starring yeah. those four actors having to like i don't know like yeah put out like an oil fire in the middle of like the and the let's Colombian get let's get jungle. billy let's get billy freaking out of retirement to direct the uh to, to direct this to direct this film exactly as he directed sorcerer oh 100 percent. yeah just adam sandler uh just driving like a madman in the darkest jungle while the visage of uh eugenio derbez cackling uh, appears yeah. over and over again yeah, I mean, I, I am concerned. I'm concerned about Shaquille O'Neal fitting in those trucks, but oh, yeah, you know, yeah. that's 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 movie magic. Um, so we need to point out: Jill goes to a barbecue with Eugenio Derbez's family mm-hmm. in what looks like Griffith Park. Um, yeah. Why not? And it leads to so many antics oh, it's just, uh, just ant- antics practical. on antics on antics and i was kind of laughing all the way through i'm gonna be honest on that too 
yeah, she, uh, she, you know, she uh, eats the food. It's too spicy. She, uh, she plays soccer. And does really well. She sucks at first, but then it's great. Yeah. Uh, the the grand I feel like the, there's a grandma character also played by Eugenio Derbez, a truly like insane uh, makeup like like you know only one tooth and like you know she's kind of who like, eats who eats like super hot peppers and won't and is not a fan of Jill. Yeah, and I love like the recurring joke of like ah oh, she got hit by a ball, give her a pepper, yeah, an insane. Uh, an insane hacky joke that when like works like they lean in on the stupid it yeah. works and i think also um you know the bottom line of this movie i think the biggest issue i have with it is that jill is actually quite an enjoyable caricature to hang yeah, out with she's, she's silly. very silly and fun yeah. uh jack is a monster oh, and yeah, jack's a an asshole yeah he, just a fucking corporate asshole you know it's not Hunting in his vibe, and of course, you know Sandler ties it up with a very sentimental ending of Jack and Jill be, being um, <sighs> brother and sister, friends yeah, again. They, they have oh, a twin language. We also need to um, discuss the opening and closing bookends with oh, the yeah. real twins, which was terrible. All of it was terrible. Like they tried to make it seem like this was just twin banter. You know, uh, regular twin. It was poorly written jokes. For all oh. of these twins, and they d- all delivered them poorly because they weren't actors. It sucks. Um, uh, it sucked. Then, yeah, and then you get like this montage of like uh, twin, like these two twins, and you get to see how wacky G- Jill is. Uh, there was a moment where I was like, "Oh, this could be a good, uh, a good movie," uh, and it's still like definitely better than Geely. I would watch this. Five well, that, more times. that that was the issue. I watched this before I watched Geely, and I was like, "That movie." I didn't, that was not good. Uh, and then after watching Geely, I'm like, man, you know, I'm going to rethink Jack and Jill. Yeah, because, like, <laughs> there is, like, that moment where, like, yeah, they're in the, I think, like, one thing I don't like about this movie is, like, I'm just not, I'm just not a toilet humor guy anymore as much. And there's just a lot of, like, farting. And it's, yeah. like, very yeah. easy. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it, it, I mean, you take, the, like you, you, you take the good with the bad when it comes yeah. to these some of these Sandler movies. And this was like the last, like one of the last ones he made before he struck the Netflix deal. Right. And, you know, I mean, he is obviously we are fascinated with him mm-hmm. here at the Academy Academy. We are, we are fans no matter what. We take the good with the bad. Um, yeah. And in the way that like uh, we've also talked about it, like in the way that like uh uh, uh indoor pizza hut like you know eden pizza huts or 90s era taco bell like these deeply corporate things weirdly enough accidentally spawned in a, an enjoyable aesthetic there is like a an aesthetic to uh adam sandler's oeuvre that is uh interesting and i think worth discussing Oh, um, I gotta mention too when Jill slams her head on the Price is Right, I did laugh at that too. Oh, that rules! That's funny. It was like very uh, funny. Like, <laughs> yeah. just and just the little the, 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 the just Drew Carey just not giving a shit. Very funny. Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing funny in Geely. Yeah. There are a handful of funny things in Jack yeah. and Jill, and despite the fact that Jack and Jill is a mess, yeah. um. And Pacino is super funny in it too. Yeah, playing himself yeah. in this weird caricature version of himself. You know, I I don't know why he did this movie. 
they may have just had it kind of as a placeholder, you know, Robert De Niro, Warren Beatty, Robert Redford, Al Pacino, whoever, Dustin Hoffman, somebody yeah, from that era. I, I I truly think it is just because like, I feel like uh, it's, you're going to get a fat paycheck for minimal work. Adam well, Sandler. Everybody is- got paid. Everybody got to go on vacation and yeah. the, in the classic Sandler vacation. Yeah. Everyone, like, everyone like leaves happy. I think from an Adam Sandler set. Like yeah, it's, it's like it's the total opposite of like I don't know, like uh, probably, they, probably yeah. the Gili set. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, yeah, what a dark place. That, although there is like this part of me that like maybe not Ben Affleck or Jennifer Lopez, but there is a part of me that thinks that Martin Brest thought that he had like, oh, this is gonna be another classic. Well, uh, it was um, it was Justin Bartha's like first movie, so I'm sure he was like, I'm going to play this big role with these big stars. I'm gonna make it happen. Well, he was hoping. Chris O'Donnell, where it's like this is yeah. like the best experience of my life, and, and like, you know, I mean, the best thing he got after that was being the guy they lost in the Hangover. Yeah, or like the sidekick in National Treasure. <laughs> That's true. He's yeah. gonna fight it in the Declaration of Independence. That's a good part, actually. Yeah, I mean, he's you get like, to hang out I, with Nicola, you get to hang out with Nicholas Cage. I, you know what? I I think Justin Bartha is like not, he's fine. Like, yeah, he's, he's fine. fine. Like I, he's I, fine. I, I liked him in the uh, the Todd Salons movie Dark Horse. He mm. plays like the good brother in that movie. He's totally fine in that movie. I mean, and most people have forgotten he was in Julie. Yeah, um, oh God, yeah. Oh, but yeah, God. I mean, I most these three movies. You know, as we kind of reach the end of the conclusion here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm happy we did this. We have done. A lot of classy movies on the Academy Academy, many classics, you know, whether you're talking about Sophie's Choice, The Devil Wears Prada, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, or Titanic, Mm -hmm. or Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico, Godfather 2, you know, the world needs to know how hard those movies are to make Mm -hmm. and how the success and brilliance of those films was hard earned and worked at um, because a Gili can happen, you know? Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and, and it sucks. Cause like, I don't think Martin breast is an evil man or anything. No, no, I don't think, I just think this is, you know, again, I, I mean, I, you know, I hate to get into too much of the mythology yeah. and the fate and, you know, but it does feel very, like cosmic yeah you feel like a monkey paw was involved yeah like some (laughs) level of a curse or something happened that led to this i and jack and jill is a lower point sandler movie that has a few funny moments it is is like a uh it is uh i think i said this uh, to don like watching uh jack and jill is like going to chili's and having like an okay-ish meal like you can tell that they now like you know it's now like they freeze the chicken and like it's all like uh, they're just like microwaving in the back they're no longer cooking from scratch yeah and hey, you, the, you, the fries you remember, are always gonna be good but you remember like oh billy madison was funny yeah his first cd was funny you know yeah. that that kind of stuff yeah the, uh, yeah the, but then like yeah but then martin breath like yeah geely in a way is uh, interesting is it's like a rare example of just like a a, a competent talented chef just just by the sheer like cosmic uh 
goofiness, just cooking a fucking turd in a shit. Yeah, it is just, like a yeah. Ab- absolutely, everything went wrong. Um, yep. Now we haven't said it with Jack and Jill. Um, do you think this performance should have been in the tournament? Man, I mean, I think it's fun. I, I think like it's it. actually fun. I, I, I do think he's good in it. I think it'd be interesting. It would have been fun to have Jack and Jill in the Hua. I think yeah. that, like, every movie we have in the Hua deserves it more than all of the, unfortunately. unfortunately. Same, with, same with Dick Tracy. Yeah. Because Dick Tracy would have been in the Hua region yeah. too. Oh, totally. And like, I like Dick Tracy. Like I said, I like his performance in it. It is very like, uh, it's just like, it's kind of one note. Um, yeah. Yeah, which is not bad. It's like, that's the character. It's like, he's not doing fucking uh, Donnie Brasco or like... Yeah, know. he's not lefty. He's not the coach who I've yeah. already forgotten his name in um, any yep. given Sunday. Coach Sunday, yep. Coach Sunday. He's certainly no Lieutenant Colonel Frank Slade. Yep. Yeah, but so, you know, or even the devil. Yeah. That's John Milton. A- uh, that's probably it's such a good who uh that's a fun yeah, yeah i mean well this is just the embarrassment of riches that is uh discovering and digging deep on the work of al pacino i mean you know we we do want to watch everything the the best and the the craziest i'd yes. say um but yeah I, I mean i don't think any of these movies are making the tournament Nah, I think, yeah, you know, we made the right choices. They were fine. I, you know, if you want to watch any of these movies, I would say check out Dick Tracy. Yeah. If you're a Sandler completist, watch Jack and Jill. Yeah. Um, and probably don't get near Sheely. Yeah, it's just like if you want to, <laughs> if you want to like, uh, just see an example of something going wrong on every level. It's I, it's interesting from that lens, but beyond that, yeah, I don't think it's worth. I don't know. It's not fun. It's just yeah, not, not fun. fun. I want like I could almost like write an essay about G. Like there's just it is fascinating. Just the sheer <laughs> yeah, the this wrong choices just yeah uniformly. Uh, but yeah, that was super fun. It was crazy. Yep. It was very surreal. Um, so next week we're diving in. Uh, we're taking it even further in this dive before we get into the next stage of this tournament, we're taking even further into the strange realm of Al Pacino. We're going to be watching, and I'm going to call this next episode HBO AL. Mm. We're going to be taking a look at, so in the 2000s, Al Pacino made three biopics for HBO. You don't know Jack about Jack Kevorkian. Uh, I boy, I can't believe it. I didn't even look this up, but I believe it's called just called Phil Spector. Yes, it is. Uh, where he plays Phil Spector, and then Paterno, where he plays Joe Paterno. Um, we're gonna take a look at all three of those next week. We'll see if any of you know. I have a feeling they're probably well done. I mean, two are directed by Barry Levinson, one directed by David Mamet. By all accounts, that is craziest in this think, one. Yeah. And I think, like, they're all, like, interesting uh, roles that an actor like Pacino would love to, like, tackle. Yeah, they're meaty roles for him. I haven't seen any of them, so I'm uh, looking forward to that. Have you seen any of them? No, I have not. So I, I believe they are all, I would imagine, if not, <laughs> we're in trouble, we'll figure something out. Uh, they're all on HBO Max, I yeah, believe. I so. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to watch along with us, please do so. Um and then the week after that, we'll be diving back in the great guest, 
uh, for the semifinals uh, discussing Dog Day Afternoon versus Donnie Brasco. Uh, spoiler alert, that episode's already been recorded, so we know what wins. <laughs> and then uh, following that is going to be uh, Insider versus Serpico. And we'll, we'll know who's heading into the finals here in this you know, whirling dervish of an Al Pacino, a thon that we're in the midst of. Uh, so for Patrick, I'm Don. Uh, this has been the Academy Academy. Thank you for joining us this time around for a crazy one. Oh, yeah. Uh, peace be with you all. You know, and gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. gobble. Oh, no. Gobble, uh, <laughs> the, the, the storm is coming. <laughs> hey, everyone, listen up your attention, if you please. Really want to give you a warning, because I found out this morning about a dangerous, insidious computer virus. If you should get an email with a subject stinky cheese, better not go taking the chances under no circumstances. Should you open it, or else it will translate your documents into Swahili, make your TV record chili, nutrient pests, and give your laundry It's gonna make your computer screen freeze Look out, erase the easter eggs off your DVDs Look out, erase your hard drive and your backups too And the hard drive of anyone related to you